0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another Movie Mumble special episode. Special episode. I am Scott Murray, your host. I feel like I should be chewing gum for this <laughs> one in honor of the film we've seen. I am joined, as always, by my steadfast companions, Joel Lewis. Howdy. And Tim Gerrard. Hello. And for this special episode. Special episode. Of Movie Mumble, we are joined by our site runner, John Betancourt. Hello! <laughs> thank you so very much for joining us, and far more, thank you so, so
1: much for bringing us Chopping Mall. I got a lot of crazy movies in my collection, what can I say? <laughs> yes, Chopping. Chopping Mall
0: is our movie this time around. Uh, John, you want us to run, run us through the basics, Year was made, and that sort of thing?
1: Uh, it was made in 1986, directed by Jim Wynorski. Um, it is a highly underrated B-horror film, um, and I guess perhaps the best way to summarize it is it is Killer Robots Killing Horny Teenagers in a mall at night and there really is no other there really is no other way to describe the film other than that that's it it's perfect absolutely
0: so how did uh, in in movie mumble tradition how did you come across this film and what
1: made you want to bring it to us on movie mumble um well my youth was basically filled with b movies (laughs) left and right um friday night my brother and i and my sister later would get out of school and we get home and we pack up the car and head down to the video store that's your cue for the blockbuster joke. Tim. Oh. Oh, yeah. Did you guys go to Blockbuster? <laughs> yeah, say it into the mic. You went to Blockbuster? <laughs> no, actually, we didn't go to Blockbuster. You son of a <laughs> man, ruin that. that. was a Hollywood. That was video. like the best setup you could ever ask for. That we totally watched it, but we uh, we went to Littleton Video, which was you know the independent thing at the time. In the '80s, it was nothing but independent video stores and Blockbusters, and the indies. I have to be honest, were, were better because it was a lot friendlier and. Uh, we had new viewers, and um, <laughs> not this particular store. I'm very sorry. to this point, you was that there was no adult section at in Video. There were only adults. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I would not want right, to. No. I would not want to diss right. on Littleton Video. It's actually some great people that worked there. Some great people that uh, run that place. And uh, actually, ironically enough, one of the first horror films I ever saw I owned from that place, which I rented it from there um, when they closed when they went out of business in 2002 during the great DVD wars. Um, but anyways, this was, you know, we would get usually a horror movie or four on the weekends. And Chopping Mall happened Before. to be in that mix because I saw the cover of the robot arm carrying a bag with a head and a leg I'm like, well,
0: you, sir, have, <laughs> <That> one, one, <laughs> that have one this weekend. Me. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, that, it just, that one stuck with you. Yeah, like, your, it, little, constant little bit. Which
1: was good because a lot of horror posters in the 80s or VHS covers in the 80s were totally misrepresented of what was in there. Like, you'd see something terrifying and you watch the movie and I'm like, that wasn't scary at all. <laughs> yeah. um, but chop Mall, well, it, it, it delivers as advertised. Robot so body parts. Yeah, and robot you know, body parts. parts. A lot of that happened in the mall. What do you know? Yep. Um, and it's just yeah. a movie that I, I absolutely fell in love. Actually, ironically enough, speaking of that, the VHS copy that I rented as a kid is also in my collection from that same... Oh, no, that's I, it's, it's So it's, uh, nice. it's kind of a big deal like that. I just thought it was... I just never seen anything like it before and yes. obviously so because <laughs> neither have we <laughs> imagine that never will um, again never will again that's true there was not a sequel <laughs> there was not a franchise that's unfortunate uh-huh. um and, and really I wanted to share it there because it's I think it's it's becoming rediscovered it, 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 this movie comes in cycles but more so on the coasts I see a lot in like film festivals coming back in oh, LA cool. and, and and every once in a while you make it to the east coast but it's been in a battle for a couple of years now to have it properly released on DVD um there was a Lionsgate DVD that came out. Gosh, I want to say five years ago, and it's just a garbage print. You know, oh, just, okay. Our VHS transferred a VHS transfer to DVD, yeah. and I own it because I had to have it. <laughs> but, um, but then that's the copy you get signed. Right? Yeah, was it Liongate? I forget. I have to look back on the box. But either way, I know that there's been a buy-up of the rights, remastering. Like there's a bunch of these old cheesy flicks that that are coming back out on Blu-ray now, and it just got a new release. And it just seemed like the right time to talk about it because you guys had never seen anything like that before. No kidding. Um, and I had to, I had to share.
2: It's our first proper horror film to... On the podcast.
1: Proper in quotes. Proper.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, I'd say it would. I would too. For sure.
1: I mean, it hits the tropes pretty hard. It actually hits everything perfectly. I would actually call it to be, even though it's as cheesy as can be, it is literally a quintessential perfect slasher film Mm -hmm. Um, in that you have the entire setup and all the exposition ready to go in a matter of minutes yep. um, something you pointed out Joel and you're like oh that's what you saw this setup. up <laughs> um, it even has I mean it even goes as far as giving us a final girl um, so there really is nothing that this thing does not accomplish when it comes to that and it's a shame that it wasn't more popular because I mean it's just great mm-hmm. it really is it definitely popular. was a lot of fun to <laughs> it's all of the uh, I'm sorry it it's all the 80's tropes
0: uh, our final body count on a human side is nine <laughs> and, all th- and three robots. Uh, <laughs> tough yeah, I mean, robots it's sort of like someone took a list of all the things they were loving about the, the 80s slasher films and then just wrote their own ideas and put them together I'm sorry, Tim. What were you going to say? I was
3: just going to say I want to I want to know how many times you know there are a bunch of kids like Dad, go get the movie with the robot with the tray. Okay, and he like you know they wanted to watch Short Circuit, and he brought that home. <laughs> <for his> <laughs> just like, oh, Daddy, why is Johnny Number Five killing all? Oh, people? I hope that happens so
1: much. <laughs> that's just beautiful. Oh, oh man. <laughs> now I want a time machine to go back and just sit there on the weekends <laughs> looking people and be like, I want a refund. Well, that's. Nope. That's <laughs>
2: that movie. I mean, those kids would have been we not exposed favor. to brown face and that that whole thing.
0: Oh, that, that's right, yeah.
2: This offends nobody. <laughs>
0: yeah, in some ways this is
2: better.
1: <laughs> Less scarring. <Yeah. laughs> I don't know about that I'm sure this scarred somebody <laughs> there had to have been someone that found this film pretty disturbing I don't know who but it
2: certainly scarred the, the main nerdy protagonist that gash at the back of his head holy crap yeah, I really hope he got medical attention right after that because that he was running like, and shit I don't know how he was... made it down three flights of stairs
1: magical I bet he doesn't either actually
2: he <laughs> likely has severe damage to his skull maybe that's the sequel is like she she remembers everything and she, he's forgotten it because of the blow to the head so she's trying to like justify it to Everybody. Return to Chopping Mall. This, this is the prequel
3: to Memento.
1: <laughs> oh. Oh. I, to find be John G. <laughs> that would be amazing.
2: Head
0: cannon.
1: Chris was like, yeah, that's the connection. That's what it all was. You guys figured it out. It was all about Chopping Mall. Yes,
0: yes. John is a, as we just heard, very much a fan of this sort of film. Uh, Tim, you're the only other one of us who was around in the '80s. What is, <laughs> You Scott, <laughs> <laughs> hashtag old. That's our yes. resident seniors, <laughs> which we've established in our other
1: podcast, I mean, just, we are actually up oh, like no. really late too, and I have not watched Matlock yet. That, anyway.
0: so, so my bones. You, you <laughs> damn kid! <can. laughs> what, what is music? your experience with these this, this the the genre. genre of film? Because um, with Joel and, and Joel and I, it's always secondhand. You, you
1: know, remember back there in the eighties with back. me, there big guy? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's back Comments books cost a dime. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Throughout the film, you were like, hey,
1: remember the 80s? Remember the no, 80s? No, <laughs> yeah, That do, takes me back. I'm like, oh, I had that funny jacket. Funny. All, <laughs> that, all that damn thing needed was a members-only jacket. <laughs> you know, I shit you not. Wasn't, Wasn't there one on a rack somewhere?
2: Probably. There's got to be one yeah. in frame, right?
1: We'll go back. And, frame by frame. <laughs> ah, the there segment. it is. There's that's the members-only <laughs> <only> jacket. <laughs> go, Steve, from <and> Stranger Things. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Sorry, I took all your... Uh, no, no. All your bad. nostalgia there.
3: Um... Well, it's funny because I I think uh, Joel I was talking to you about this earlier. Was that, like I feel like a lot of the stuff with with a lot of eighties movies is it, it only has like nostalgia value, or at least a lot of the stuff that I've seen after the fact. This this is an exception, I will say. Mm. This was this was enjoyable, but mm-hmm. but there is a ton of stuff where it's like you know when you yeah you know, when you sort of commiserate with your other friends who are same age who remember the eighties who actually lived through it, and it's like yeah I remember this movie, remember this? Like no no I didn't see that. And then you go back and watch it. Like, a friend of mine one time had me watch 3 O'Clock High. And he loved <laughs> that movie. And I was just like, what a pile of garbage this is. <laughs> and, um, remember that one? But, like, you know, so so a lot of the, like, let's see, a lot of the ones I know, like, like, uh, um, what is it? Breakfast Club was, was big. Like, Teen Wolf. Like, those were, like, we had, a, we had, I think my dad taped them off TV so we would watch them <laughs> on an old VHS. But the, the funny part... Is for the longest time I thought was Teen Wolf was only half as long as it was because I think <laughs> he changed the channel. I was like, oh, look, Teen Wolf! I should start recording, recording, and like missed the first. The thing. Yeah, like so it's just kind of oh, I guess this is where this movie starts. You know, you're a kid, you don't know that. But yeah, there, there were there. Were, I feel like there's like a handful of, of specific ones that I've seen. But like, yeah, most people I know who you know who talk about like '80s movies, they're like, yeah, I remember this, remember this. I'm like, oh, I don't remember that. Like I. <laughs> I don't know if I was like. I mean, I think a lot of it was I wasn't into to horror, so a lot of the '80s horror movies are, I think, um, you know, the, more of the stuff that people seem to be into. Or like you've got the John Hughes stuff, obviously. Like mm-hmm. that's a big sort of cornerstone in the '80s. Um, but but yeah, like I I sort of have like these very specific films that these are the ones I watched in the '80s over and over again because we had them on VHS. You know, I think I think at that time we weren't even going to, to Blockbuster. It was just whatever we could tape from TV. Uh, I
2: think, like, D.C. Did you ever work have, at Blockbuster?
3: Yeah. <laughs> um, I may have.
2: <laughs> I love that John knows our formula so well. <laughs> it's always I, nice to have that little nod from the, the big boss man. Oh <laughs> I know your stuff.
0: <laughs> I do listen. What can I say? <laughs> I, you had touched upon a good, uh, something I think we've talked about outside the podcast, but I don't remember what film it was, John. But We were at work, and you've mentioned another 80s film from the huge glut of uh, 80s horror and i went to watch it for my first time and it just didn't stick with me i think like what tim was saying that uh, i i don't have the nostalgia attached to even to the era as a whole let alone to any of the specific films mm-hmm. so for me only certain ones are going to really jump out well uh, which i i will have the same problem when you know, in, in a little while.
1: Well, even and now I guess I already do. I, you know, I that actually, you guys, the films I grew up on. Yeah, you bring up a really big problem with '80s horror in general, in that uh, there are there are genre portions that are consistently timeless. Like anything, like mm-hmm. George Romero's Night of the Living Dead is one that is discussed today, which mm-hmm. is in part because of The Walking Dead. You've had that that cyclical run, but the '80s were so big. On, I mean, really, your your late '70s and early '80s films were were just the powerhouse of the slasher era. Um, You know, starting with John Carpenter's Halloween and then kicking into um, Friday the 13th and and Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, And and this, I mean, that's what I think makes Shopping Mall so special is that it's in part of that era because that's still, I mean, in another year after this comes out in 86, you know, Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors is out Mm -hmm. in 87. Um, And it was a very unique time because a lot of those movies were just just attached to the zeitgeist of the era. I mean, you had, I mean, Dream Warriors is a great example. You got the theme song for that sung by Dawkins. Yeah. Um, you know, you got Jason Goes to Manhattan because that was, you know, that was just, it's a lot of gimmicky stuff that came out of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's
0: a lot of stuff that's not on either extreme. It's not the thing, you know, the landmark. Yes. It's not the horrible gimmicky reaction piece. There's just this middle of stuff that was just solid. You went to the movies. You had a good time. And some of that, for someone like me who wasn't there, is
1: going to, some of that's going to entrance me and some of it ain't. Well, truth be speaking, I don't think a lot of it is. And then it's one of those things where people talk about well remakes suck well remakes also help keep things alive mm-hmm. because you know 28 Days Later is a great example of, of, the, of the regeneration of the zombie genre because you have George Romero's work with Night of the Living Dead and then of course he puts it, to the, puts it to the roof with Dawn of the Dead and then there's the 85 surge with you know Day of the Dead and Return of the Living Dead and then zombies just kind of go away Mm -hmm. past that point because Slasher and well Slasher also makes a comeback in the 90s too with Scream but that was kind of that last gasp of it though because that Mm -hmm. was that was honestly more pure nostalgia in that era Mm -hmm. Um, and then it's all kind of gone and then all of a sudden you know 20 Days Later comes out and everyone's like oh zombies are kind of a thing and then all of a sudden Zack Snyder's remake of Dawn of the Dead comes out and then George Romero releases Land of the Dead and here we are Um, and I've not seen that cycle for Slasher like Scream should have been that cycle but once that franchise Mm -hmm. ended it seems like it ended everything
2: there, well, I mean, was... the thing with Scream was that it was like this, parodic, kind of yeah. Like that's, it was a commentary on it, and it then fishy. as it continued, it became the thing. It was parody.
0: I think that part of the problem too is we we started to get like the Final Destination movies mm-hmm. was sort of some of the slasher movie, but without all of it, mm. you know. And that was sort of
1: it. Had slasher elements um, without right. the right, and I think it was just slasher. a little too awkward of a step. Mm. Well truthfully speaking I would say if anything actually killed the slasher genre it would be the torture porn subgenre because oh. hostile yeah hostile and, um, and the soft, attempt, uh, yeah. yeah saw to a certain extent maybe past saw one I think saw one was probably more of an actual mm-hmm. horror film that was kind of toying with you but it has become more of the, the you really went to go see what crazy puzzle jigsaw was right. gonna do and how they had to dig you know a rabbit's paw out of a skull. Whatever it was going to be that week, because um, <laughs> they crank those suckers up like nobody's business. But that's part of that problem is you know they, they tried to do that revitalization. You had the oh9 remake of, of Friday the Thirteenth. You had the 2010 remake of Night of at Street. and neither of those resonated with the audiences. And I think that's because they quite frankly didn't capture the zeitgeist of the films. Um, you know, you, you look at these you, great example is Chopping Mall. Everything is so just like you, uh, it's just so goofy, and it's just it's it's so it's so it's so, it's so takes itself seriously enough, but not to the point where it's you know, this hardcore brooding mm-hmm, piece. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 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 all about the fun. I mean, there's a lot of laughing in this room as we watched it. Um, and that's the problem with those remakes was, you know, Friday the 13th remake was a very by-the-numbers, you know, Jason Voorhees is a big deal. And I don't think that works in, in, in the aughts and, and, and the, in the tens, quite frankly. Um, there has to be a certain level of humor to go with it, I think, at this point. Not a ton of it, but, you know, even look at The Walking Dead. I mean, you know... It, Great example last season finale. You've got gunfire, you've got this big triumphant moment, and there's Negan flipping the bird driving out of Alexandria. And it's just those little bitty moments that make you chuckle that you're like, oh, that's that's fun, that's neat. <laughs> um, and it was. I mean, it was hilarious either way, but it wasn't there in, in those two remakes. And I think that's a big problem because, you know, remakes generate that curiosity. You know, you're like, oh, mm-hmm. so Zack and I already of Well, what was the original like? And then you go out and you seek the original. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's a big problem. And then why a lot, you know, a lot of younger folks can't, find that magic, because just not there. remind
0: me of a, a big reason a lot of these sort of cultural genres just kind of die out is and not even just because the, the social dynamics have changed, but because they if they go back and do what they already did, like these remakes sort of, they're, they're like, we're gonna go back to the roots and do everything serious, like you just said, it's sort of lackluster. But if they keep progressing, eventually they're so far from where they started that they've lost all the you know lost all the roots
1: well you know it's sort of you reach a certain point where you you can't go farther but you can't go back well it's what killed it's the irony is that's what killed the slasher genre Mm. you know you look at Freddy's dead the final nightmare it's it's there's a whole nintendo sequence to kill a guy (laughs) Ah. you know i mean that's not really how do i take that seriously um jason takes manhattan there's a great example of that i mean there's there's a there's a simple gag where he lifts his mask up and shows a bunch of guys what's going on and they freak out and run away um that's what happened was it became a parody unto itself and it's it's the old Dark night saying you to live long enough you know you either die the hero live long enough to become the villain mm-hmm. um, and the same thing applies there uh, that's a shame I mean it really is because this, these have that potential to be special if they uh, someone has to figure it out and I, I think it's also part of the problem too is horror always reflects the era that it's in You know, you saw a lot more angrier horror films in the 60s and 70s because of the civil rights movement, because of the sexual revolution. Um, A great example of of that portion is uh, David Cronenberg's Rabbit or Shivers. I'm sorry, Shivers is what I'm thinking of, which was very sexual revolution, but a lot of the concern about, you know, sexually transmitted diseases and there's essentially a sexually transmitted disease in the film mm-hmm. and that makes it a very terrifyingly gross film and suddenly now sex is taboo again um same thing with Alien 2 Alien, Alien 2 yeah I mean that's 79 for so we're kind of in that same movie, area yeah um very much so for that one, yeah. I mean, that's no joke there, and not to mention all the all the sexual imagery that goes with that. And know. it's a pure. I mean, it is a slasher. I, I think that's a, a fair definition of it. Well, I think I think Aliens' claim to fame was the fact that it was always a hybrid piece. I mean, there is yeah, a good fair. hunk of science fiction, but it is terrifying in some some yeah. spots completely. Still but, makes me jump. That oh, absolutely, so effective. Um, yeah. But I think what made slasher so successful in the '80s was you almost, in essence, had. I don't know if Tim will agree with on this, since we're kind of from both. Well, we are from that generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to call the children that were born in the late 70s, early 80s, like a lost generation. But there wasn't a particular civil rights cause for us to rally behind. Um, you know, this is the 80s. This is when money's starting to be made. There's a lot of that corporate greed. There's a lot of that um, establishment, I guess if you will kind of be put there. And there's a lot of that anger in some of the other films, like 85's Day of the Dead is very much anti-establishment in that respect. So in a roundabout sort of way, the slasher thing is almost kind of that is saying a big kind of fuck music? you. love oh, punk for yeah, sure, with the of the dead. But a lot of that, a lot of like, just a big F you to the system. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you look at kind of like Jason, you know, the old, it, it, well, almost it's cyclical, like, as is always the case with horror. Because in *Round of while Jason is against the system to a certain degree. He's also very pro fifties in that you know teenagers shouldn't be sleeping together. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, and and, and it's just, it, but even then, just yeah, the, the punk thing was kind of always there in *Dream Warriors*. Um, that's a great example of the punk piece. I mean, you got all that piece that goes with it. But it was just a very interesting time because what was it we were supposed to latch onto? What was what was horror supposed to grab onto at that point in, in human history? Um, I mean, you see. Horror films now being very societal again and very much the, to the to the times. Um, hashtag Get Out. <laughs> hashtag Get Out is a great example of mm-hmm. that. Um, perhaps the best example of, of, of that in years. Yeah. Um, probably the best horror film I've seen in years, but it really wasn't. It's, it, it wasn't just kind of that. It was just cutely angry. It was a good time. Comments from the, from the seven people who hated Get Out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one guy. That's what took rotten <laughs> tomato. <99, laughs> that one guy who had a bad sandwich <laughs> and he put it on Yelp. <laughs> but no, I you know. I,
0: Horror and sci-fi both tend to m- mirror our society much more directly than a lot of other genres, I think. I would agree. Um, or at least, there are at least co- more and more coverage for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Articles I see tend to be based on horror or sci-fi. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. And I would argue maybe that there's a certain amount of... They can do that because of the distance they have. Because sci-fi has the distance of technology whether it's forward or backwards or sideways, and horror as the distance of the supernatural mm. that help keep them removed from our real life, from being heavy-handed or preachy or what have you. Does that, does that make it easier for them to make that kind of social commentary or just to hold up a mirror to us than other genres, do you think? Or do you think other genres just generally don't explore it because their storytelling methods that fit the genres just don't lend themselves quite as well? Or maybe just because no one's tried. I mean, I mean, we had this discussion about Bond. Bond is another franchise that that's true that reflects the time. Reflects the time, and mm-hmm. it, I mean, maybe it's mm-hmm.
2: just like super spy, and these British. So, like the American audience kind of has that distance from. Okay, this is a different cultural mm-hmm. thing. He's super talented. He's able to do all these things. So maybe that distance allows him to have that commentary too. But it, the, I mean, those films are another one or another franchise that really bears the mark of every era that they're produced in, especially. Roger Moore era, yeah. early
0: Brosnan I'm stuff. Talking about that a little bit before the podcast. Yeah, and, uh, more specifically, just you know for context there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, then different question, and I am asking you all to speculate. I <laughs> admit with this one, <laughs> but uh, you mentioned John the. We mentioned how genres in general tend to run their course, and you talked at length about the slasher flick and flick slasher flick in particular. Do you think it's sort of a two part question, I guess. Feel free to answer whatever part you wish. What Johnny do you think that's gonna to happen to next and or do you think that's gonna happen with superhero films?
1: Um, do you want me to go first? Whoever.
0: I don't mind. Whatever whatever you all think has not that much structure yeah. here. I don't. want
1: Tim to get love. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we all want Tim to get love. Um fair.
3: That, oh, that's yeah, uh, like, Tim, you're loving uh, yeah. audience, so wait, so I, I, <laughs>
0: Hashtag, we love you, that's Tim. i like to derail him.
3: <laughs> um, yeah, no, I love that you bring the, the superhero part into it because Just, that's, that's the genre that's, I'm thinking of yeah. that's
0: big right now, which is why I specified them. I'm yeah. not trying to pick on superhero things. No, no,
3: but it, I mean, it's something that we've uh, we've kind of been speculating about, like. Um, and and I could talk about, like, if a, a, a more personal part of it is, like, you know, wanting to be a film composer and having been a comic book fan almost my whole life, and here's this time where all these great comic book films are getting made, and all these people get to score these really great comic book films, and by the time, you know... It, it, if it even happens that I get to the point where I have enough clout where I could you know do something that's actually released you know all over the world, like is it going to be over by then? like am I going to miss my shot to ever score like a legitimate comic book film mm-hmm. um so that's that's you know that's kind of the first thing i thought of with that is like yeah that's that's been in the back of my mind, and you know especially um you know since we haven't heard Mar- many of Marvel's plans past um infinity war. And uh, part of what I tell myself, I think it's just because they don't want us to know who they're going to kill. Yeah. And mm, so they don't want to be not. like, yeah, yeah. there's going to be, wow. you know, a Thor 4 and an
0: Iron Man 4, but not
3: a Cap
4: 4. You know, like, guys like Tony <laughs> Stark? Too yeah.
3: bad.
0: Yeah. <laughs> or when the title is, uh, you know, Captain America 18, The Resurrection of Hulk. Right, you know, <laughs> he's die somewhere. Okay. Right? Yeah. So-and-so returns. <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of,
3: I don't, I don't. I don't want to speculate this is what I think will happen. But, like, I've thought about it. And why I can't come to a conclusion is because, you know, what's what's really cool is how each kind of series within the whole comic book, generic comic book franchise, like, has its own genre kind of thing. You know, like, like the Thor films are very different from the Captain America films, very different from the Tony Stark films. So it's not like there's this one type of comic book thing, you know, and and, and, it, and it's been working. I think that's the other thing, too. Like, I feel like we look to the past and laugh about, oh, yeah, I remember when, uh, you know, David Hasselhoff played, uh, you know, Nick Fury and when Dolph Lundgren played the Punisher mm-hmm. and there were these
1: isolated films that were just... Remo props. Williams, baby. Who's right. <laughs> Remo Williams? You've not seen that? No. Oh, asking me... If, well, oh. that's for another time. <laughs> oh, okay. But that was another obscure character that was kind of an adaptation. Oh, okay. was really... Yeah, let's not get started. Okay, <laughs> finish work. No, no, no. A certain
0: number of auto centers feel as confused as I do, and a certain other number of auto centers are have just jumped out of their seat <laughs> There may be yeah, another
1: yeah. another special edition just for Remolins. <laughs> yeah, <it> begins. Uh,
0: <laughs> um, so, sorry, Tim, we kind of derailed you there. No, that's okay. Usually, talk about laughing One about the pre old yeah. Yeah.
3: So, so I, you know, I, I they they have a momentum now. So I feel like there's no reason to think like, oh yeah, they're on their way out. At least not now. Um, no. an, another thing I've thought about that, a lot is um, sort of the, you know, I think I've mentioned before, I'm, I'm into mythology in general, and the idea that I feel like mythologies usually come about when humans need to either explain something that they can't explain or to make themselves feel better about things that are happening or sort of create, create this idealized uh, vision of the, the world and, um, you know, part of, part of what I believe why superheroes have been more and more becoming a bigger part of, uh, of what we're into, what we're attracted to, and what we want more and more of, is that the superhero represents this idea of, of, of kind of an absolute good, ideally, you know. Um, I mean, you do get into some, some gray areas with that, but, but I think there's a sense of, like, you know there 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 isn't justice in the world there isn't this this hey i'm going to look at all these people doing the wrong thing and make them stop it's like well the people doing the wrong things are the ones in power with the money so there's nothing we can do to stop them and you know um like i think there's this sense of we need to believe that there could be something that could come in and be like, hey, everybody knock it off. Like, you're not doing the right thing. Like, you you have the power in, the, like I said, the money or the majority or whatever, but you're not doing the right thing. Like, you don't get to decide what is right because there's more of you... Um, and I think that's, you know, at least to me what I've seen the superheroes representing, you know, and it, it takes many forms. We have Captain America, this idealized, um, view of, of American patriotism, but like you, you can still get behind him as like, you know, yes, like he, he kind of represents all that is sort of this absolute good, um, you know, then in, in other ways you have, like, you know, Superman, who's kind of the, you know, the, 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 the immigrant who's this good person who a lot of people are kind of afraid of, but he's also a hero and he's just trying to prove how good he can be. And is is um, that what he's doing
2: in the current films? No, no. no okay, <laughs> I have right, seen a whole lot of oh, evidence okay, of that. Just, that was more just, you know, the Superman. No, I, no I, in general.
0: I'm just I, busting DCEU's
2: really balls right now.
0: <laughs> yeah. We saw that in Kinsman, the first Kinsman. Mm-hmm. that. Samuel Jackson's crazy old character who just gets together, thinks he can just get together people who are going to live into the new world, Mm and everyone else. And yeah, well, that's I'm I'm doing this. My Mm -hmm. vision, I'm better than all you. Yeah, not even just the superhero film, right? Yeah, you know, other genres Mm -hmm. too.
3: And you know, and and there's also like the street level aspect of it too, just like vigilantes, you know, like and that takes its shape in a a bunch of different shows and comics where you know, like like the Punisher is a good example of that. You know, and yeah, the the one end you have Captain America, the other end you have the Punisher, which just like, hey. You guys are bad guys, and you're getting away with this. I'm going to murder you and stop it. You know, and um, so I maybe maybe my answer that I've kind of come to in this long roundabout way is maybe superheroes will stop being popular when we feel the world is operating the way we think it should, and we feel that there isn't a need for those heroes anymore. Hmm. Um, so I, I don't think it will ever die because I don't think the world is ever going to get to that point. Like I think we're always going to keep. Um, idolizing these characters because they represent, you know, the, you know, the the way like religious figures and you know all this other, you know, everything else in literature. It's this sort of idealized view of how um, the world. Should be and you know wishing that there was someone who could come in and straighten shit out like that you know and 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 you know the irony of this is I'm thinking like this is kind of what Anakin Skywalker is saying in, in you know Attack of the Clones like someone should just tell everyone what to do and you know to behave and to pick this and this is the
2: right thing you know and the times uh, that we quote the prequels on this podcast is making me <laughs> sick. Joel, have you ever
0: heard the tragedy of Darth? The <laughs> <laughs> I, was just, uh, I think it's a Jedi legend, John. Or- oh, no. This shit's like <laughs> Sam, man; it <He> gets. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think it's interesting to, to think of the superhero genre as a response to the current political pro- the climate or the the feeling of inadequacy or helplessness of just regular citizens I think you're right about that in the sense that we won't have, we won't ever get rid of our desire to have those ideals represented in film I think before that dies out The fatigue of repetition might kick in. I think we're going to get a point where the Russo brothers aren't able to deliver for us. I think we're going to get to a point where Tony Stark's not Iron Man and whoever they have to fill his place isn't as compelling. I think that the, the, the way that the superhero bubble might burst is just running out of shit to say and people to say it.
0: I agree with you because it's already starting to happen for me with Marvel. Not so much with DC, because they're still trying to find ground to stand on. <laughs> but um I was talking to somebody, and I mixed up events from Captain America 2 and Avengers 2 and Civil War. I mixed, mixed them up. Okay. Because I was just the same film for me. I mean, not literally, obviously. And I enjoyed them. I'm not saying I wish I hadn't gone or saved the money. I mean, they were fun, they went. But, you know, how long ago was just the first Avengers film, even?
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm just... They're fine, but they're the same, and I'm getting kind of tired. Would you say that about Ragnarok? I haven't seen Ragnarok yet, which might change things. I, I um, think it I definitely will. I was really counting on Guardians 2 to change things because Guardians 1 was such a breath of fresh air, and then it didn't.
2: <laughs> so Guardians is very, very much. And, you know, two is so the maybe Thor will make me
0: eat these words. Um what's the date? It's the 17th today. So Thor, Thor is in theaters right now mm-hmm. Ragnarok as we speak. So you know,
2: dating the podcast. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Aha, I'm uh, back, baby. Yes, <laughs> I have a stick. But uh <laughs> Yeah, don't beat me with it, please.
2: <laughs> the Marvel stick. Yeah,
0: uh, but I even if they manage to stave it off with Ragnarok, you know, I've already seen the beginnings of it for me. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you completely about I think repetition and fatigue is going to set in. But Interestingly, and I know John hasn't had a chance to answer yet, I apologize. I'll get to you in a second. No worries. Um, superhero genre has already had several cycles. Even if you just want to count, like, the Tim Burton, Batmans, mm-hmm. and then the Dark Knight trilogy. And before that, the Christopher Reeves, Superman, Reeves, Superman you know. And like, then Return. They have come and gone. Which hasn't happened with the slasher films. Uh, yet, question mark? You know, the slasher films only began... Uh, as John said, late 70s, we were saying. Bother so, you. if they're going to have a second run, we don't Ooh, know. Right. But the superhero films, even if they do run out, whether it's from repetition or from something else, they'll come back at some point. they They'll have another resurgence. You know? Maybe another decade or something. I,
2: I don't know if it'll ever be as big as it can, though.
0: Maybe, maybe. You know, who knows? Because, I mean, like, for
2: 17 films to have the same continuity is mm. unheard
1: of. Well, it will because. Well, except for Rocky and all those ones they made of. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Rocky, 5,000. 5, um, yes. Well, it will because... <laughs> only seven What you're seeing Rocky. right now... I know, I know. It's ...is like those of us that film. grew up seeing comic book movies that we that were not respected. And people going, you know what? That could be done better. And then they go out and they make these awesome Marvel movies, and here we are. Um, so, like, again, and you're right, most film genres are cyclitic. Um I think this is a great example of exactly what we just mentioned, that how long before it becomes cartoony... How long before they have their own Nintendo fight sequence like Freddy had. Um, that hopefully doesn't involve murdering teenagers. But um, How long till it becomes a parody unto itself. And when it becomes that, it will scale back. Um, and you'll see the box office returns go down. And that's when that yeah, part of two. And I think that also be... I think it's going to be a two-prong attack. As somebody who's, who's spent a little time inside the industry, um, there's not a lot of films being made that aren't superhero films. Right. Um, and a great story to go with that is Super Troopers 2. Because they went... To Fox and said, Hey, we gave you guys a lot of money. We had a great success with Super Troopers. We would like to make a sequel. Mm -hmm. Wherein Fox said, I'd be great. Give me a vampire in it or give me some capes. And I'm paraphrasing this story terribly. But either way, the the important thing was it wasn't a remake and it wasn't a cape. Um, Those two (laughs) elements weren't present in that film. So now Fox was nice enough to say, If you guys can get what you need barely, you know, bare minimum funded, we'll give you a distribution deal. And broken lizard went out and said hey we want to make super troopers too we need your help here's why um that's where i got that story from because it's right there on their indiegogo mm-hmm. and lo and behold in 24 hours the bare minimum 2.5 million was funded yeah um and then four and a half was all said and done and i know they wanted five i'm, I'm fairly certain they probably were able to raise the other 500 thousand from somebody else but fox did live up to its its deal and mm-hmm. april 20th next year well, well, super troopers we too. got super troopers too mm-hmm. um which is, you know, that, that part's fine. They'll but. They'll probably have released by the time this comes out, man. <laughs> well, maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> <a special laughs> up, we'll see. So it's out of we'll order, go back and redub you know, it. Yeah. Um, but it kind of begs that point is how long before just people in Hollywood say, you know what, we want. I mean, there's a reason you see Glenn Close coming in with really these big names because what else can they do right now? I mean, this is what dominates the business right now. If you're talking, you know, that's why Disney has this kind of money, because we've happily handed it over. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing, it's just, but this is always that, there's always that downside to these, to these, to genre stuff like that, is that it it does get too big for its britches. And it kind of is that with superhero films, but it's, but at some point, you know, is is Brie Larson, who's, you know, a very talented actor, is she going to say at some point, I'd like to do something else, but I can't get it funded because all I can do is Captain Marvel? Right. Um, And that's, again, not to say it's the end of the world, but, when is that going to change um, and I think that's part of that piece is when's, when that, that shift is going to happen um, as for a genre that I think is currently in the midst of or in, about to have that same kind of cyclical backlash I think horror is already in the middle of it actually um, you know Walking Dead's ratings are down but I don't blame that on the environment I blame that on the whole season 7 premiere and who died <laughs> because I mean I haven't seen it it's uh, it's brutal I mean there are people that are genuinely angry about how that turned out um, and that's fine because these were very colorful characters in that part of it but Look at the horror genre as a whole. Get Out is by far the most original horror slash thriller film we've seen in I don't know how long. It's the best thing I've oh, seen wow. in 2017, quite frankly, mm-hmm. um, just from an overall structure standpoint. Yet, when it comes to Hollywood again, again for their love their love of, of cyclitic stuff, yeah. they're buying up remakes left and right. Poltergeist in the last year, oh, yeah. um, you know which is a beloved film, you know, Steven Spielberg, man when he was still kind of dabbling in horror. But you've got all these remakes and all these sequels coming through, and there's another Jigsaw movie out.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Letting some original horror trickle out here and there. um, Mostly in the indie market. It follows... And uh, Lights Out got picked up and made into a full production. It
1: did. It did. And and I'm not a personal fan of It Follows. Um, That's a whole other diatribe from other Night. But um, I I started out liking it, and it's it's one that hasn't aged well in my opinion. But indie horror has been quite successful. Anything that's going direct to video, anything that's kind of hitting the, the cable airwaves or video direct, that stuff's been phenomenal. There's been some great finds on that. But if you want to talk studio horror, which... And a roundabout sort of way kind of was what, I mean, it was Paramount Pictures that was releasing Friday the 13th. And it was, you know, New Line Cinema. Well, that's the house that Freddy built. <laughs> um, so you don't see that now. They wanted to, because it's about dollars and cents. And I get it. It's a business. And, and superheroes are a business, too. As much as we are lauding the fact that, hey, we're finally getting some quality stories, they also make their money back plus an ungodly amount of cash. And when you can buy poltergeists overall screen rights for pennies on the dollar, make the movie for $15, 20 million dollars, and have it do sixty, that's a success. Yeah. Mm-hmm. that's 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 money back, and that's money in the bank. Um, that's a safe bet. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a tried and true tried and true franchise. People know it because, and that's what they're banking on is that you know the dads are going to go, hey, you want you want to go see poltergeist? So I saw that when I was a kid, right. and it goes back to that. I mentioned earlier, that whole cyclical piece about having it there. Oh, it might have kids to have nightmares like I did. Hey, I'm going to clean your sheets like my mom cleaned mine. When I mess them, I'll bless them. Um, but, you know, that, that stuff is traditional. I mean, I, I, I Walker Stocker Con, uh, I went to that a couple of years ago. And there was a father and son that were in line to meet Robert England. So, I mean, it, it actually has become a transgenerational thing in its own right. Um, and I think that taboo of, you know, Parents shouldn't let their kids watch horror is kind of dying. I mean, I remember seeing Land of the Dead. I don't think it was intentional of these parents, but when I saw it in theaters, they had their seven-year-old and their six-year-old there. Probably, I mean, not, I mean, maybe not the best thing for them to see. But I'm not in charge of that family. But I'm seeing a lot more of that as time goes on. A lot of younger kids in movies. I mean, well, and Deadpool is a great example. Mm-hmm. Oh, this should be fun. We'll go watch uh, that. Oh my God, he said that. <laughs> uh,
0: I wish I could remember what film I was in last year that someone had basically a six-year-old a couple rows behind me. And how how did that happen? Like I, I don't remember, no. but it was an R-rated film, and it wasn't yeah. it wasn't something that was misleading either. I remember I there was a fairly young kid the second or third time I went to see La La Land, <laughs> <laughs> and um, they, Probably they managed tad, quite well because the kid was only just a little too young, you know. Mm-hmm. And they were sort of surprised because the marketing was like, "Oh, traditional musical," and right. then the film wasn't bad; it was a bit more mature. Mm-hmm so for the most part it was fine you know I just remember a few context things where like people would ask daddy what does that mean and they were just like oh and they handled that very well mm-hmm. and that was maybe a year or two difference and it wasn't even a mature content issue so mm-hmm. much as it was just comprehension I remember a shot of a no parking sign and then an empty curb and Emma Stone and the kid was like why is she upset and the dad said her car got towed mm-hmm. It was like ah but what you'll understand when you're older <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly <laughs> it that will happen film, to you that other film I was in <laughs> actually it might be it might have been Kinsman <laughs> I'm oh, thinking I'm oh, yeah. remembering from a oh. year it might have been Kinsman yeah I wouldn't take a kid because to it was something along those lines that was even in the trailers you could tell it was yeah. like this is going to be up there you know <laughs> this young kid was right there
2: oh man with the, first of the I was thinking of the church scene in the beginning but the end with the princess yeah. I and
3: don't
1: know if they orifices I will be, be right back now, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> and
0: it, you know, again, I, you know, you you are free to parent your kids as you like, and ratings are by no means
1: then in concrete. But whatever film it was, that was just such a drastic. Right. Well, that goes back to also how you parent, because I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll say point blank, my I saw Dawn of the Dead uncensored when I was 11 years old, and I mean, when I say uncensored, I means there was no hey, John, turn around here, leave the room. I watched it all. I watched a man's guts to get torn out, and that scared the living shit out of me. But. There's also the piece that comes with that in conversations with my father where he would explain how that works. He's He encouraged me to seek out how that stuff was done mm-hmm. so that the, illu- the terrifying illusion of it is taken away. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if every parent has that conversation like my, my dad did. so, mm-hmm. And they probably don't. I think yeah. there are you know, folks start, that do the babysitting thing. That yeah. falls
0: into with the old um, constantly rehashed by everyone on earth debate about you know, some parents thought their children they're fine with sexual content but not violence and some are more fine with violence than with sexual content and back and forth and I don't really want to get into backseat parenting here but, <laughs> but with regard to children you said something John and I've lost the sentence uh, comic book movies that weren't respected along those lines oh yeah a lot of, there's been a much larger push into comic films and other things for adults as of fairly recent history which is odd, because things like the Christopher Reeve Superman and uh, the Tim Burton Batman with Jack Nicholson, I know plenty of people who were adults at the time who enjoyed those thoroughly. Because they're just good movies, well told. With So the characters came from children's comics, like, oh well, you know. The source material was irrelevant in terms of age group. But, like you said about, there wasn't, there wasn't that acceptance there's been lately this push to the source material's target audience is irrelevant. source material is used for concepts and characters and core and then we can take that and make any story we want, which we're starting to see with uh, you know the Marvel and DC movies right now but even with uh, even oh my gosh I I just completely blanked on the other film I was going to say. But my bro- was it Chopping Mall? <laughs> no. Oh. But my broader point was about... Darn. ...about using source material not as... You know, you don't just say, oh, well, this came from children's things, so it's too young for me. Like, no, people are now starting to say, oh, well, wherever it came from, if they're into it, great, but if they're not, they don't care. They just look at the thing mm-hmm. that's been made, you know, and say, okay, do I or don't I? Um, but, I, you know, yeah, it just struck me that that took a long time for comic
1: films. That took a really long time. It took me about 30 years, really. I mean, mm-hmm. truthfully speaking, I mean, you know, I mean, I don't ever, there. Are, I recall there being a Roger Corman trailer for Fantastic Four, which was, if you have not seen this, look it up on YouTube, <laughs> and when we post this, I'll make sure to <laughs> no, post the trailer to Shopping Mall and post that trailer, Nice, um, because yeah, he made it simply to keep the screen rights to right. it, but he, he was never serious about making it, it's kind of, like, well, just relinquish it, but... Um, yeah, I mean, you, you can't take that seriously. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, this, it's this big, goofy, awful adventure with you know the, the, the least amount of money or effort you can spend on special effects. The Mister Fantastic stretching sequence is just—you'll laugh. I mean, you'll laugh. You can laugh hard, um, but you know that's that's how far we've come in the respect now because now people are like, we want a good Fantastic Four film, and this sucks that we can't get one mm-hmm. because there still hasn't been a good one yet, mm-hmm. but. Um, but, like, by the time we
2: got to... First one got a lot more watchable after the most recent one. Yeah. <laughs> by the time hey, we this? did it, though. It did. For me. And I watched them back to back to back. Wow, you
1: are a brave soldier. <laughs> Damn.
0: By, by the time we reached the Dark Knight trilogy, I think, and maybe before that, but I just off the top of my head, that was when, you know, people could have said, oh, yeah, like that, you know, cartoon show my kids watched in the 90s. But they didn't. I Went to see the films and just said, Wow, this is good, you know, mm-hmm. especially with the dark Knight.
1: Yeah, um, Bane, what that was, Rises, right. but quite a doesn't point. matter, It doesn't does matter. doesn't Got Bane, John does a great Bane voice. <laughs> God <and> God <laughs> you
2: know. I think we've referred to it on the podcast I before. Was, yeah. <laughs> Ask for the devil, he
0: shall appear, <laughs> but uh, I just it was sort of abrupt. I, and you know maybe some of that is because I'm getting older and as I've moved into the adult world I've seen more adults watching the, the Bad kids. Knee Club right. <laughs> but, um, but I God I just I'm thinking about all the superhero movies I've heard of and some of which I've seen thanks to Blockbuster
3: <laughs> um, is that my nickname are you referring
0: to me? <laughs>
3: <No>. <laughs> <laughs> thanks to business. Blockbuster over here <laughs> <laughs> just
0: never quite took hold I wonder if we haven't seen that yet
1: with video game movies
0: because they haven't been treated the same way.
1: You haven't seen it with you, horror yet, either, for that matter. Because you, it's not—it's only mainstream, really, in one place, and that's that's on television, mm-hmm. which is ironic, too, for that matter. Um, that horror has taken over TV, when it was supposed to be this. When I was growing up, between shopping mall and just like I remember speaking the words George Romero, people like, "What the? Who the hell is that?" Um, and it's funny how that used to be a Friday night in-your-basement-type viewing thing to now where you know, there are viewing parties for The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, but still past that point, you know I mean, it's a niche. It's still just zombies. And American Horror Story is its own thing in its own way. I mean, I don't want to sit here and, and bash the show because, I mean, I haven't watched it closely, but when I've seen it, it's a very, very niche market in its own right. But it's got a very low following, and that's, that's great. But it's specifically on TV and TV alone. But that same thing, there's, it's not a mainstream thing where you know people are lining up and, and, and forking over their cash for the next you know next amazing zombie movie or the next amazing Freddy Krueger movie um it's always been a profitable business but i mean it's the same problem there's a i would love i would i would love to see that but i think for american culture which has a very very horror still has a very much taboo thing which i find intriguing considering the fact that the walking dead shows you everything inside of a human being when necessary um if you never need a good anatomy lesson watch the walking dead <laughs> you'll know exactly where the livers at, the human body um <laughs> Which is funny, but it, the irony of, of 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 American censorship and American, I guess, prudishness in this respect is, you can't get Negan to say the word "fuck" on the air. So we're we're good with a man getting torn in half and having corpses shovel his guts into their mouth, like it's a Chinese buffet with fifty percent off night. But we're not good with a man saying "fuck," um, and I think that's always been the problem with horror in general. Is it's still taboo. I mean, even again, a great example is just you know Chop Mall. Well, I've never heard of this. I think. If you get a kitschy comic book movie, even even the ones that aren't well respected, like Batman vs Superman, everybody saw it.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: There wasn't ever a oh, "We're done with this; we're going to get shelved to the side." No, no, no. Everybody and their mother laid down their hard-earned twelve fifty. <laughs> I saw it in the 3D or fourteen fifty <laughs> yeah, or fifty, depending on the theater you went to. Yeah. Um, but you laid down your hard-earned cash to see it, and it, people went in droves. It made money. But, you know, there's there's no way that if you put a Walking Dead movie on it that it's going to make that kind of money either. At least I don't think it would, mm. quite frankly. You're touching a bit on just the difference in
0: this, something, sort of inexplicable difference in appeal for film and television. That plenty of stories or genres or what have you will work perfectly fine in both formats, you know, as long as they're well made and whatnot, but that people just tend to gravitate towards one or the other Mm -hmm. for different things. And I think you were right, Joel, you mentioned in our recap from the second cycle, which probably won't be out by the time this special episode comes out, but that's okay, about... We talked about the idea of James Bond on television, and it it felt sort of distasteful. In that case, maybe it's just because Bond has been on film forever and ever and ever, Mm -hmm. and there's something, you know, ingrained in us there, but maybe not. And regardless, I think it just serves well that you know you see even war films I was gonna say lots of war films not a lot of war television the closest to become is short form stuff like Band of Brothers yeah which is a sort of, you know things that, that HBO does those sorts of mini series tend to blur a lot of the lines between cinema and television but uh I just I don't I don't know I that's the, that's the point is that I can't latch onto it that it's something that I can't explain that I can't even pin down that people just prefer certain things on television and certain things on a big screen I I don't know why I can't even accurately list out all of the things they prefer I've even found that. I'm sorry, who, who just inhaled? I don't want to... Oh, no, I was just because I was agreeing with you that kind of Okay, I, thank you. I, I was just thinking earlier
1: today... Chubby yeah, sure guy, handling
0: <laughs> There are some television shows I watch like films. I'll watch two and a half or three hours of in chunks yeah. and just come back to. And I, I love them much better than either one episode at a time in a week or binging the whole series. You know, I tend to watch them in movie-length chunks. Hannibal is like that for me. Galactica for me, I realized. Okay. I'll watch yeah. basically yeah, one disc at a time. And that if, if I don't, I just
1: sort of drift off. Well, there's parts of Galactica that you can't wake can't <laughs> up. I, can't, I, need, I need to call my mom afterwards. Sure. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, I'm just going to take a break here in the middle of season four. No, I can't do that. No.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: I wanted to go back. Scott, you had brought up video game movies.
0: Yes. Um, video games are still far more than comics, seen as children's or teenager toys, and it's really showing in the films that I
2: think seen. it's more that they can't find somebody to write a
1: convincing storyline. Nah. Are we going to talk about Blood Rain? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was gonna talk about Doom actually. <laughs> it's a good movie. Doom uh, is
0: a great Carl movie. Urban. And I feel like Doom suffered from them sticking too fervently to Is Carl Urban in Doom. Oh yeah. Yeah. I thought
2: I mean, it's... Carl Urban and the Rock, yeah. Okay. Yep. You
3: may not have recognized him because he didn't have a shake weight in
2: the... <laughs> <laughs> Those nice. of you who have seen Thor Ragnarok will get that <laughs> reference. <Okay. laughs> but, um,
0: yeah, it, they sort of had this weird thing where they had to bend over backwards to stitch together the ideas they'd taken from the game. And I felt Doom was entertaining, but the plot was like, you didn't need to do that. They well, could have taken <laughs> any kind of plot See with one guy rampaging his way through hordes of demons, or... Which they sort of started off with in the actual film, mm. team of heavily armed commandos moving into facility right. in, in sense of aliens. They could have just started with those concepts, done the visuals and such based on Doom, and then just written a good story. Yeah. And I think a lot of people would have been happy with that. But they felt so constrained, you know, to the game material and yeah. to the game audience that it, it sort of hurt them.
2: Warcraft had that issue too. They I, they're always so concerned with this is something that was cool in the game visually. We have to put a scene in it that does that, like the first-person sequence. Into that's very fair, yes. Right, and then there's this extended view, like of a map of a battle in Warcraft, where they zoom out. Like, here's how you would move your troops in the game. Guys, Remember how we, much guys, you liked the game? I'm not sure
1: they're going to know they're watching movie about Warcraft. If we don't put that in, it's right. just, it, they approach right.
2: it without a narrative in mind. It's just, here's this thing, how can we push these buttons, put it in a trailer, and then move it on?
0: And our comic book movies, now that they've stopped thinking of source material as for kids, therefore, film must be for kids, they've, they've broken out of that rigidity the comic book movies we've seen lately have been really good. I mean, but it's also people helpful who, that comics have really good storylines. Sure, lines. sure. But the people mm-hmm. who like comics and know the storylines have plenty to chew on, but the people who don't aren't missing out. Right, because they're well-constructed And the video game as movies could have done that too. Yeah, you know, They could have no, just set out on their own. You know, We wouldn't have had hordes of angry video game nerds not hordes, but obviously some non-zero amount, because fans, but <laughs> but we wouldn't have had huge numbers, you know, going literally tens. Oh, of angry Oh, this people. was exactly you know <laughs> three fives <maybe>. to tens, <laughs> just you know because we didn't have that with the comics, the things that they've changed, you know, we haven't had massive outrage about Batman and Batman v Superman using guns on his. I have, but,
2: but that's badmobile. just me. Okay, I found this out talking to my local comic book shop owner.
1: Plug <laughs> um, <Blood> time,
2: <laughs> so. There's only one instance where Batman kills somebody with a gun in the comics, and it was a fucking vampire. <laughs> huh? There are only eleven issues of Batman that take place before Robin shows up. I didn't know that shit either. Little that's Batman Tibbet, right? Like, doesn't it seem shit. like there was years?
0: Shit. Oh well, huh. that's that's a. Did I think that it might be a little bit misleading because that was once Batman got his own title, but I think he was in Detective Comics well before that. No, I think like I, I think what
2: he was he was including the detective comics oh, okay. stuff. I think I no, what we I had talked about self, so, I mean, we're supposed to be talking about this just roll. amazing <laughs> robot slasher film and we, we'll bring it
1: home here in a minute. We're talking about it. <laughs> we'll come back to the sweetheart that is Chopping <laughs> mall.
2: Yeah, but that's the whole thing It's like people like Batman uses guns and that's bad, but oh he used them in the com- he used it in what? one issue to kill a vampire. He had guns but he never killed anybody well, except wrote about for the this vampire. In...
0: Did I write about it for the Geek, or maybe he was just talking about it, about all the different kinds of Batman we've seen.
2: Right, and I mean, and if, if we'd follow the Burton v- verse, he kills a lot of people in that series. Sure. It's like, a, it's how, a weird you know, thing just, just this
0: to, one but. version has become, become the official version because it's what a lot of people grew up with or saw mm-hmm. or, you know, and it's just sort of there. And I'm sorry, Joel, I'm kind of going to just sort of steer us back. No, here, that's I fine. Didn't I didn't have a particularly widespread outrage about that. In BVS, BVS maybe because there was more to talk about, and we haven't had especially widespread outrage. Her name <laughs> was Martha, oh <laughs> and you changes that any of the interpretations or things that have come about in the Marvel films. Mm. Some of which have been different from the comics completely, and some of which have just been you know subtle changes or ad- adopted from lesser known stories or what have you. But you know there hasn't been this absolute boycott inducing fury because. They just instead they took the, the source material for the foundation bricks and then they built something of their own on top. Yeah, and I think video game movies need to do that. Yeah, they need to be less afraid.
2: I think the other problem with video games is that the narrative is so. Maybe they need to take video games to television. Maybe that's how they do it because it's more episodic as you're playing through levels. I mean, levels is a misnomer now because it's not how open world games or anything are set out or organized but like an Assassin's Creed video or a video game is episodic and as you follow these missions and uncover more of the thing that's coming in, like more of the pl- larger plot you, that's a season like I next mean, week on Resident Evil mm-hmm. I mean yeah I don't know Demon Dogs are back that's the other thing is like Video games are such complete stories in and of themselves.
0: That's another issue. that There are games that are like that, like uh,
1: Last of Us, mm-hmm. where the narrative is so Ooh, important. Yeah, to yeah. make a film out of that is
2: just doesn't make any sense. Well, it. you
1: have it. That first ten minutes of The Last of Us mm-hmm. is almost as quality as the first ten minutes of Snyder, uh, Snyder's Dawn of the Dead, mm-hmm. which is this ten minutes, bad road, tour de force, holy crap, the world is falling apart. Um and that was more cinematic than anything I saw in Resident Evil films. But then you have film uh, games
0: like Overwatch, where there's essentially no plot. Right. And someone says, I'm going to make a movie about this. Uh, okay, sure, take the characters, put them in a movie situation. But the, there's this sort of half-heartedness. they sort of chained to what lim- little story tidbits come out of the right. game. Like, no, just, just go write something. Like they did with Wreck-It Ralph. They didn't make the whole thing about knocking down houses right. and fix it Felix. They just took... Pieces
1: from all. That's probably points. the most and successful
2: just, video game movie to date. That Brushwater, I mean, I
1: think. No, bro. Um, Super Mario Brothers. Okay, uh, that's where it's podcast
2: at. is over. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> having seen that movie, <laughs> <laughs> you just, I've, man, I've
0: talked a lot this podcast. No, but no, I've got to not because we're seeing a major, not quite major, but we're seeing a pretty serious comeback in horror in video games. Whether it's a yeah. side thing like in The Last of Us, or a sort of Atmospheric thing, like in the recent Doom, mm. or more serious, like Alien: Isolation, or even Friday the Thirteenth and Dead by Daylight. Yeah, like yeah, Friday the Thirteenth horror, horror, horror games that, game is. that are coming out, and they're just they're all over YouTube and Twitch.
1: Yeah, Friday the Thirteenth has know been if Friday the Thirteenth is on Twitch actually. Oh, it you is. Know, the point stands. Um, it is. Yeah, I mean that's that that thing is. I, I've been following H two O Delirious's channel of bit. Or his playlist of it religiously because mm-hmm, he just sorry. has a great commentary to go with it. But mm-hmm. in doing so, of course, YouTube's like, "Oh, you like it, this, eh? All right, here's what. Have some more." Right. <laughs> and like We're recommended hard Jason,
0: Jason, Jason, Jason. In television, and in video games. That's interesting. Even though it's not really sweeping through cinema. It's crazy because I've heard that that
2: game does not control as well as any other game. Like, people are liking it despite its
1: difficult game
2: mechanics. Which um, is been,
1: it was talking about Friday the 13th, so yeah. right, they're patching it a lot. I mean, yeah. they've gone through and done that, done that work. And from what I've seen, I mean, there's glitches like anything else, but I mean, when it's on, whew, it's it. on. <laughs> I mean, where else, you get, I mean really, where else in the video game are you going to see a jaw get torn off? Because Jason does that. <laughs> <laughs> that's something that Yeah. Slugging off heads, or <laughs> what's the new one? Um, jamming his giant blade between their legs and then pulling them towards him. <laughs> yeah, so that's the thing. It. It's awesome. I'm not going to lie. I said it like, "Ah, well played." Pour me another Miller High Life, champagne of <and> bill.
0: <laughs> separate from that, more recently we've had a lot of walking-based horror. Uh, layers of Fear. The amnesia games, I think, have stopped for now. I might. They might have been a little early. Mm. Horror has
1: kept, kept popping up in video games, even as the success comes and goes. Well, Isolation is definitely a great example of how good that gets. That game is off the chain when it comes to horror, and I I don't, I don't, I've seen so many horror films and played so many horror games that they don't scare me anymore, except for Isolation in recent years. That thing made me yelp out loud. See, the other thing, like, video games are almost perfect as a vehicle for horror because
2: the first-person orientation you're that per- like i mean that's what horror movies are trying to capture right you're in the scenario you're in the house where the phone is ringing off the hook
0: cuz the calls are coming from in it, right you're scared cuz <laughs> they're
1: you're coming in- from inside the house yeah you're <laughs> in the building with the, the killer
0: right and being able to have direct control over one of the actors right. is so a when you, way
2: to give you go immersion. around the corner and fucking scary dude's there it's you that did it you have <laughs> to run it's your your success in the game is dependent on your getting away
1: from it And that's why I'm very disappointed that to this day I'll probably get ir for this. I have yet to play an awesome zombie game. I mean, Dead Rising is close, just because you get the hordes. But I want a good old fashioned George Romero style end of the world zombie game, and I've yet to see that. I don't like fast zombies. I don't know how they can run. Mm, Your sure, ankles should snap. But yeah. Left 4 Dead. Pool. Here we are. Yeah,
0: Bloodshot oh, Pool. Yeah, I mean, left 4 Dead was nice. But left 4 Dead was neat, fast, but I mean, you know, they're fast zombies, and yeah, yeah. Cool.
1: Yeah. it's dumb. But I've yet to see a clear at least, on my opinion, what quality one of those. Sure. Unfortunately,
0: I can't think of anyone off the top of my head either. But I admitted the only devil in video game horror. I'm not super.
1: How are the zombies in COD?
0: Oh, they're fast, like yeah. Black Ops. Yeah, they get faster. I mean, they it's it's they it's go. just right. it's designed
1: yeah. to be just a, a pressure cooker. So, I mean, it just you know it just it keeps, keeps getting worse, keeps getting worse. Harder it's harder. like my first three marriages. You just it started off great, and then I'm like, daft. Well, you know, in life, you only get married three or four times anymore. So, like, go big or go home. I feel like every
0: time you use
1: a marriage phrase, the number just <laughs> it's or, a, you roll a dice to decide how many you're going to have. One bad five year relationship is the equivalent of seven bad marriages. Okay, <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> working that, up to your five. This <laughs> <laughs> yeah. three. Tomorrow it'll be eighteen. So just <laughs> you yeah. wake up yeah. with the sweats, <laughs> they're not meat sweats. And you wish that they were. <laughs> and that, my friends, is true horror. <laughs> Boom, see <C> Crest out. <laughs> <laughs>
3: John is able to tap into alternate reality versions of himself who have married
4: very badly. And, and for
1: those of you not at home, I, I've done some graphic changes to my body. I am now a pickle. I'm a pickle, Morty. I'm pickle, is. Rick. Is that going to be just I can't do a Rick, Rick
3: and film. Morty references? Um, yeah. so what I'd like to see is a Chopping Mall
0: video game. Oh, see what I did there? Ooh, <laughs> I was actually, <laughs> actually going to swing that the other way. You know, that would be fun. say that horror films are predicated on your concern for the characters, either your interest in seeing them get chopped to bits, or your interest in seeing
1: them not get chopped to bits. well I, that's that's Friday the Thirteenth in a nutshell. And Freddie, again, back to those two guys. I mean, that's that '80s pieces. I mean, how how how, how much did Joel cheer when that head went pop um, <laughs> in chopping mode? Because I because
2: yeah. I saw it, I was like, please let it be, please let it be.
1: Exactly, that was the excitement. Boom. The excitement yeah. was the gore and the splatter and and, and, and the fun of that and. Those is what you look forward to in Friday the 13th movies was the kills. Like, how is Jason going to kill this dude? Mm-hmm. How's Freddy going to do it? Now, Freddy, I would say, had the more creator kills over the years because, I mean, dreams and mm-hmm. I mean, how else can you go wrong with, you know, Turning someone into a cockroach and squishing them. Um, and Romeo. Can't hide, bitch. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bitch. Um, oh, bitch. <laughs> bitch. and He did say bitch a lot. Actually, it's funny. i watched that episode of Rick and Morty Finally with Scary Terry. Oh, nice. And then I had watched a ton of Elm Street movies because it's Halloween when I watched them. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh my God, he says that all the time. <laughs> it's so prophetic, it's ridiculous. I'm like, wow, you guys caught the, caught the spirit because what's the first thing I see in Dream Warriors? Walking into prime time, bitch. I, a couple of movies later, I'm on Dream Child. She's like, you're an abomination. Yeah, well, you be scourged away. Well, you we'll see, bitch. We'll see. <laughs> huh? <laughs> got it right. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's. Is that something horror has struggled with as of late? Immersing us, film-wise. I mean, because Get Out, I felt really concerned about our main character.
2: Oh yeah. Well, especially, I mean, yeah. that, the ending. Especially, it's like, oh, oh yeah. shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, man. Come on.
0: Oh, uh huh. What TSA? <laughs> we shit. We our shit. That was
1: something that film did really well that not a lot of other horror films have done in general well, for me. Yeah, I think I think horror has lost its way in the sense of I wanna say it's necessarily the dollar signs, but that could be part of the problem. But I mean when I think back, there is a great documentary that I quote for everyone to see. And anybody in this room that wants to borrow it, sorry, audience at home. Um, I've been more than happy to loan it. It's called the American Nightmare. IFC did it in two thousand and two thousand two thousand one, and they went back and they looked exactly at those films of the sixties and seventies that had that that power of angst, you know. And and and, and granted, you know, I did. I just got the new. I just got a new um a new three disc set for George Romero that covers his lost films and there's a great interview with him and Guillermo del Toro actually a talk really um, about his work and, and he points out the fact that George you know did he changed the zombie genre because really the zombie genre is there's pre-Romero and post-Romero um, pre being the old voodoo style Haitian zombie and then of course there's the George Romero zombie and they, they eat all the things um, mm-hmm. and what made the, the conversation so unique was that Romero himself said I never made to make Night the living dead about race and of course everybody talks about it now you know that a black guy was the lead that it was made in 68 during the civil rights movement um, and, of course, you know, the whole good old white boys put a bullet in his head. Spoilers, by the way, if you haven't seen that, a living Death. Um,
0: <laughs> well, and if you haven't,
1: the hell. Um, you know, yeah. there's, and and, you know, and it's to the point where even Criterion's finally putting out a 4K release next February, and everyone's losing their mind, including myself, because finally a Blu-ray of this. Um, but he never meant to do that. He didn't. And if you've ever read the original script of Night, the, the character of Ben initially is kind of a backwoods kind of dude. He, he doesn't finish his sentences properly. He doesn't use the letter G when he's saying that he's standing outside it's standing outside Um, and because Dwayne Jones read the part so eloquently because he was such a damn good actor he won the part and it changes for him but now that piece is there Um, and that's what's funny about that era is what we take out of horror is the big thing behind it and what I've always found intriguing was you know there were two there were some big things that came out of that that documentary that made me very very impressed with what it did and what it said about horror in that there was a lot of feeling in the 60s and 70s that this was the end. You know, that this was probably going to be the end of America or at least as we knew it um, because of the way things were going and the, the constant infighting and, and the, the escalation surrounding Vietnam. But America survived it because as a professor says in the film, the world is always on the brink. It's never quite over the tipping point. It's always just right there on the edge. Uh, and even John Carpenter says something very interesting about how his films were that that angry young man's, you know, fuck the establishment type environment and then they all got old and became the establishment. Mm-hmm. Um and that's my concern with horror is is it now being made strictly for the the cash and entertainment value or is it still valuing what it was in that it became a a beautiful microcosm ship in a bottle this preservation of time in a moment Um, and I don't know can you capture that because I mean truthfully speaking there's a lot scarier shit going on in the world than there is in a horror film because you know you, you look at a film like Dawn of the Dead where it speaks to American values collapsing and that you know the dead are us and, and, and they're these consumers that consume everything and it was very prophetic in that respect um, but where where is where do you find that now because if you go and see The Walking Dead it's like okay Negan's an asshole and, and we get that and you know and there's all these other things behind it but social commentary is very hard to find because how do you make something less scary than the unknown for the American government a lot of folks I mean it goes without saying people are terrified of President Trump and what he can do um how do you make that scarier in horror? How do you commentate on that? And I'm not even Negan can go that far because there are, val- there are there's redeeming values to Negan. Not even Negan. A even. lot of folks yeah. don't see redeeming values to the president these days. Right. Um, and that's that's what is tough because that's what horror does. Horror encapsulates a period of time. Um, and I've always used George Romero's work as a, as, a, as, a, as a point for that because every one of his films, minus the final two of his career in, in Diary... Well, the, United States, the last one of his career, Survival of the Dead, doesn't really encapsulate as well as the others, it does speak to American politics and the constant infighting and that kind of thing. But you know, Land of the Dead—it's the Bush administration. It's our—it's xenophobia. It's all these beautiful things that are there um, because that was post 9/11 America. Was everything that's outside of our walls is terrifying. Um, and granted, zombies are, and there's nothing good that comes out of that, but the uh, use of the word walls and zombies just reminded me of that scene from World War Z uh, <laughs> yeah, with the wall and the zombies well, that was not good um, let's not talk about World War Z that's, and, it. Uh, uh, that's actually well there's a great actually we should I think I back there's a great example because <laughs> talk about a film that is, that is actually the highest grossing zombie film in, in current history but is it a zombie film or you is know, it just I'm, a really good action film
0: I'm not sure that's the best example for what you're trying to do not
1: not to attack you. Well, but job. No, but it speaks to the entertainment aspect. But
0: because the film took so long to go from rights to film and was just so butchered in so many ways on the journey, like, I don't... It's hard to pin blame anywhere, you know, with that one. It's easy with some films to say, like, oh, I took this book and they made a crappy film. But that just took... Are you defending World War Z? Because I'll, I'll fight you. <laughs> not, not as a zombie, zombie film. film, but just as a... It's hard to say where they went wrong in terms of... By the time it finished, like, the fact that it had the title was almost coincidental. Like, they like sort of Bloodborne went, oh, we still have the rights, let's just attach them, you know? A, they should have named it Day Old Steak Covered in Hot Mayonnaise. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, you know, it took so long, such a winding path, that it's a little. Because that's it's A little weird. I'd like to provide a, a better example for you, but I'm afraid I'm a terrible person and I can't.
2: <clears throat> Departure from horror and the thriller z- genre? Because one of my favorite scary movies is *Silence of the Lambs*, but I would not call that a horror film
1: because
2: mm-hmm. it's more psychological. It's more about
1: or, uh, the nightcrawler
2: or nightcrawler. That's a good example. Yeah, of that ironically,
1: song. *Silence* is the only horror film to ever win an Academy Award for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, and, and then
2: I mean, I I, I, I know. I guess it comes
1: down to a very big discussion of what do you define as horror, right? Um, because that does that does have a definition for some folks. I mean, for some folks, it is I you know Freddy Krueger. Um, for some folks, it is killer robots killing horny teenagers at a mall. Um, for some people, it's 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 President Trump. Um, for others, it's you know the, the monsters that permeate the world, which is what Hannibal Lecter is. Yeah. Um So, I, but you make a fair point. There is there. It's hard to. I actually had this debate with um, Scott Edwards, who also writes for us, um, about Get Out. What does he consider? He sees it more as a thriller. Um and that's but yeah but there's elements like I, I see what you I see what you're getting at right. because there are elements of that and the more horrific stuff is you know, put the lotion in the fucking basket, right. um but, you know that but that's also again like you said psychological so mm-hmm. that's a fair point. Well,
3: one of the things I thought of when you were talking about you know the current climate and and sort of the things um, you know how if if the horror is a commentary, one of the things that popped into my head was *The Handmaid's Tale*. And again, I, I don't know enough about the the horror genre to know what classifies something as. But um, and I, I almost feel like it's probably dismissed as horror because there aren't monsters in that sort of fictional sense. But there are fucking monsters in that show. And yeah, and like Actually, to me, that, human like monsters that,
0: like Lecter, like Hannibal Lecter, you mean? Yeah, human monsters. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm.
3: like like the, yeah. these people are are monsters, you know, and. Um, and you know that to me was one of the most poignant things of like people kind of making like the social commentary on you know where things are today, and and yeah maybe it doesn't get noticed because it's not well okay there are zombies or, which are a metaphor for this or vampires which are a metaphor for this or what it's it's just like no it's like these are the people we're actually afraid of you know and uh, maybe and I, I haven't seen Get Out yet but maybe it's a lot like that where yeah you're not dealing with a supernatural thing but it's just the shittiness of people you know and and then we can uh, make horror out of that Or, or even with Walking Dead like yeah the zombies are present but the zombies are not the scariest thing in that show you know it's I remember seeing a, a poster when it first came out, and it summed it up perfectly: "Fight the dead, fear, fear the living." I've you know. loved that yeah. phrase
1: ever since I first saw yeah. it. season three. Baby. Like,
3: mm-hmm. yeah, like the the zombies are not the enemy; not their enemy. They're, point, there's something to work around, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But it's the like, okay, what fucked up person are we going to have to deal with next? You know, and that's <laughs> you know, it's the horse in mean, I mean, in a hospital. Oh yeah, don't
1: get me wrong. I love I love the show. I mean, I mean, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm committed to seeing where this where this goes because I mean, it's it's taken. Basically, my entire life to see zombies be this popular, mm-hmm. and so now when you say the word George Romero, people are like, "Oh, I know who that is." Mm-hmm. Um, May rest in peace. But you know, that's 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 to me a personal conflict because that's what I grew up on was that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. um, and, and maybe I'm over dra- dramatizing the whole thing as a general. That perhaps just more of it's an evolution of horror too, as well. Because I think you're right. I mean, the the, the scariest thing is always man,
4: mm-hmm.
1: um, and those are the greatest monsters. You know, I mean, it, Stephen King's you know finest work includes. Those particular terrors There's usually a supernatural twist But what makes The Shining work mm-hmm. Is Jack Torrance's descent into madness Not yeah. not just the Overlook Hotel really? um, you know, and, and it's just I think it was I think maybe and Maybe that's what's evolved Or maybe it's just at the point now Where it's like You know what How is this shit ever going to scare us Because people are fucked Yeah now we see How bad man is And I, and I wonder Because that's actually Something that came up In a few nine eleven 11 documentaries um, More so about The conspiracies that surround surrounded In that People sometimes cannot comprehend The evil that men can do mm-hmm. um, and when it's on that grand of a scale, I can see why that would suddenly shock a world and shock a, shock of people to go, okay, that actually happened. Mm. Um, and it, I can see why that would create conspiracies and that type of setup there. Um, but you know, people are that cruel and, 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 maybe it's sinking in now and you look at the mass shootings that are happening on a regular basis. You know, children are being killed. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of thing like, wow, this is actually starting to hit way too close to home. So maybe we can't scare ourselves with commentary that involve a walking corpse anymore. Maybe. At this point in time, what's scarier to us is seeing the madness take over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Other people, yeah, Seeing it. it killer you... roll-outs in a mall.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Just makes me think of like the interesting genre distinctions between thriller, horror, or even dystopia. Because I mean, I like reading dystopic novels, The Nineteen Eighty-Four, Brave New World. But the thing about those is that there's this this pallor of terror looming over everything that you don't have freedom. You can't do anything that you want to do. Ooh. It's that technology and society like has that. evolved in such a way that, I mean, it's it's far removed and it's usually sci-fi type stuff, but you're mm-hmm. far enough away from it to feel See, like... yeah I was
0: going to say that I've thought of dystopia not as a genre but as a setting. Mm-hmm. Because you can have dystopian horror or dystopian sci-fi or dystopian fantasy or etc. But then you just said that it dystopia in itself has this feeling of unease attached to it. Right.
1: That, that is interesting. To, to be let's, the guy to bring up... Write, though, because right. the irony of dystopia also goes back to our point about the bloatedness of a genre when it gets to that point. Because let's not forget that for pretty much about five years there the young adult writing industry was nothing but that. Yep. Um, you know, Hunger Games hit and everybody's like, we want let's that. Let's do that. Um, and here we go. Divergence. And, and, yep, and, and here comes that wave which is now starting to that wave is now starting to crest back. And you're seeing that now. I mean, and 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 that's funny how that works. But it's still a a very valid point. I agree on that part that it It does have its power.
2: I was going to say to be the guy to bring up the Matrix this episode. (laughs) Like that's a dystopic novel that could have been. I mean, it's it's built as a sci-fi action flick, Mm -hmm. but it's a dystopia. And if you built it around how terrifying that world was, that could have easily been a horror film. Yeah. I mean, it's just the fine line between those two three things.
1: For thrillers and dystopia is just an interest I hadn't thought. Oh, no, I mean, about you're right because I mean, George R.R. Land at the Dead it takes place a couple of years after Night of the Living Dead, and guess what? They're walled up in Pittsburgh, and yep. the whole world is gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that threat is there. The dead are still outside those walls. Um, so yeah, there. I guess there has to be certain elements that have to mix in that, regardless mm-hmm. whether you like it or not. I mean, any any of it feels quite frankly, same I mean, same for even Donovan, I mean, they're they're hold up in a mall that outside is the end of the goddamn world. Children of um, Men. Did, did, There's a did great the, example. They despair <laughs> really well. Mm-hmm. That's a genius flick too. Mm-hmm. But I guess, what did you guys like about Chopping Mall? Because we obviously know that I love the damn thing. But, <laughs> sure. Since you guys are first timers to it, what did you like about it the most? Fuck the
2: fuchsia! It's Friday <laughs> is one of the great American film lines of all time. I, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Head exploding, like I mean it. it, it it led me to the okay here's where the the body's gonna drop and it was always satisfying when it did that, that and it delivered exactly what it fucking promised that was the other thing That's and true. I didn't know there were robots until literally when we sat down to watch it which was fucking incredible <laughs> so I, I enjoyed bonus that very, twist yes
1: kill robots
2: also Uh, have a nice day. Thank you and
1: have a nice day.
2: (laughs) Is the greatest, like,
1: slasher tagline. I feel like you're gonna say that a lot more ironically now Uh than you ever did before. (laughs) Have a nice day, bitch. And I'm gonna wonder if Jerry's gonna be like, why do you keep saying fuck the fuchsia on Fridays? That's weird. (laughs) (laughs) Jerry's gonna say that
2: regardless.
3: (laughs) Fair. (laughs) What about Tim? I, uh. I I can't exactly put my finger on it, other than, like, it. The tits? Uh, like, was it the
2: tits, Jim? No. Tim? Tim? Jim, Jim? I don't know is who Jim, Jim is. Jim He's Tim. So is it
3: the woman. <laughs> but no, it's uh, now you're a man. Um, uh, like I, you know, so I think uh, Joel. I think you said this. Like it knew what it was. Yep. You know, it it wasn't trying to be serious. It wasn't trying to be. It almost like it wasn't trying to be scary. Like it kind of knew. Like um, it almost seems like yeah, it was done on purpose. You know, I feel you, you feel like some films are kind of like like yeah, oh this is going to be really scary and it's really funny. Like See the it's Room. A, yeah, right. Yeah. Um w-
2: but like with this I'm it leaving. seemed like yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> bye bad. Mark. <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh, that's that's gong this Oh, this big Hollywood movie. Nick <laughs> <make> Tier. <it>
1: <laughs> Come back, Joel. No, no friendship.
3: <laughs> we totally we fucking derailed it. your <laughs> No, oh, that's Ross fine. Sorry. No, I uh, um, it knew what it was. Yeah, it was it it wasn't it knew that You knew what it was too. Yeah. You know, you knew what you were getting into. And it wasn't it, it was kind of it was almost like a film that like your your kid makes. And you go into it going like okay, this I'm going to I'm going to support this because my kid made it, and then like you're actually surprised, like oh wow, like good job, like you you actually did some interesting things there, and like you know there was some like good good pacing, you know, and it was um, it yeah, like it, I don't know, it's really hard to, to to pinpoint. Like I I feel like I've watched other things like that that's just like oh this is so bad and I hate it. This was definitely on that so bad that I that I like it kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, but I feel like there was there was a really good. Structure to it, um like formally, like the way we, th- they were kind of like the ebb and flow of the action. Like they had a lot of downtime where it was like, okay, yeah, like this is. It was somehow more realistic too, I think. Like, yeah, they're not just gonna be running constantly in this mall. From the, it's like, okay, we're hiding now, we're good, and then something would happen to upset that. Like, okay, now we got to deal with this again. And just the way all the deaths happen in like a very satisfying way, where it's it's like okay who's gonna bite it this time and okay oh they bit oh were well, they're gonna set you up So you think it's like when the when the couple died you know and it was like oh who's it gonna be oh you think it's this person oh and that one bit it, bit it too and oh this and and you know it was just very like like yeah like well done like it was almost like um I, you know i i've been talking a lot lately uh yeah with, with joel about like m- my sort of ...taste changing from... ...like with comic books specifically. Instead of being into certain characters... ...I'm into certain writers now. And I feel like like this film... ...even though it was made in the 80s... ...and everything looked really shitty in the '80s, like ...I feel like the writer was really good... ...and really knew how to pace the story... ...and how to let it not be too long and to yeah to give the right amount of titties with the right amount of violence minutes. you know yeah like it was just like everything was kind of in its pl- place for everything and everything in its place you know and it, and it it worked you know it wasn't it wasn't mind blowing but it also wasn't like oh god when is this going to be over um i mean i'll probably never watch it again but oh no, yeah, i will I be yeah. watching this well, that's a shame
2: yeah. because guess what you're getting for christmas uh-
1: to Timmy Krista! your own copy of Chopping Mall <laughs> so, thank you b- have a we, nice day
2: <laughs> before we get to Scott's response uh, to what he liked the best I did not know that this was the tagline for the film so on the DVD case it says Chopping Mall where shopping costs you an arm and a leg oh, outstanding God.
1: I well, we need to show you the trailer then there, there's a little time with that that's awesome there's more gems to be found the, the more that I find out about this the more I'm
0: enjoying it <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful film what did, uh, what did Scott like about it? I loved it. Everything. Everything about it. <laughs> it. It represented the pinnacle of... Not the pinnacle, but just the good things about 80s cheese. You yeah. know, and... Like... Eventually, certain things become cliché. So you laugh at them. This was all of the cliché things, but just done well. Mm. Because they took themselves exactly as seriously as they needed to be. And... Uh, and no more serious. But... They also had fun. You know, it was that nice balance. It was just... Like you said, Tim, they knew exactly what they were doing. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly what it was. So we got the sort of schlocky 80s gore, like the weird neck cut on the one guy, you know. <laughs> we got, like, exploding heads. We got lasers. We got... Bro, the they like, had blood. plastic explosives. I forgot about that the robots had plastic <laughs> right? explosives. For no...
2: Like, they, these are just supposed to incapacitate. Why do they have explosives? Yeah. Right, yeah.
1: Uh, What was the company that Rumsfeld was associated with? Was it Halliburton? Yeah. Oh, the Halliburton product, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Prepare. (laughs) Prepare.
0: (laughs) And just just the whole thing, just, as a package, was like, I realized, I said, this is, said to myself, this is what was happening in the 80s, and if they were all this good, great, I'd be going to see them all, you know? Mm. This was our, we mentioned earlier, there were the the landmarks like the thing and there was the absolute trash cash ins and there was this huge middle span this was that chunk of the middle span that would have kept me coming back Mm -hmm. because it would have been sort of like the Marvel films now that like even though I'm getting tired or maybe it feels all similar it's like it's still fun you know I'll go with my friends we'll sit down we will have a good time go home and chill you know it was just yeah good Mm -hmm. it was good
2: I mean acting was decent Nobody was like over the top ridiculous I mean it, it was no more well More ridiculous
3: than anyone else was Actually was in the 80s Right yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, right, I mean right. it's, it's that like
2: gum
0: though But you expected it You expected it Because right. Right. it's a part of the, that They knew what they were And they said if
1: we're going to make this film It's going to need these ingredients And mm-hmm. like well, geez, the cheesy acting And they put them in Well and it's it, even pulled in You know some of your other It pulled in every 80s trope Known to Man I mean, It wasn't just the horror genre I mean you had the You had the jock yeah, you know, with, mm-hmm. his, with his gum chewing and gum his beautifully chewing. feathered hair, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you had you had the big nerds, and it mean, was just you know, the scream queen was, was completely evident, and you had your drama queens, and it was just all these beautiful '80s tropes and, and just little old categories, I and mean, like a little like a little Salt Bay of John Hughes and that bad boy, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the scientists in lab coats. Yeah, <laughs> that's and that's almost even a borderline 50 homage to yeah. the 19, those, those atomic movies where yeah. science <laughs> and science mixes horribly with nature, and here you are <laughs> <laughs> the
0: the the slasher trope of the token nudity, you know? Oh yeah, All yeah. The, uh, the
1: punishment for sex, totally. Your Friday yeah. the 13th cut there. Yeah.
3: Well, and I, you know, I think it just occurred to me one of the things I think I liked about it too is that I never, I don't think there was a point where I was like questioning people's motives and actions you know, all that much as opposed to what the thing that pops in my head is the stuff. Like, hey, what's this white stuff bubbling out of the ground? I should eat it. Like, that, that that's what starts the whole yes. thing. And it's just like, are you, yes, who would do that? But that's it? how I discovered banana splits. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they were coming out of the ground? Yeah, I was like, is this, is this pineapple? Oh my God, it is. It's delicious. It <laughs> just needs this
1: chocolate and strawberry. Is this, is this you this guys make this? Split?
3: Oh no, this is feces. Oh no, no, no. no the this went one bad. That was not a banana.
0: The one decision that's not quite Thought through is to leave the vents, but right. It's because of panic. Yeah, right. there was which is like panic is irrational. It only happened like a, once.
1: It was the yeah. one moment of panic in the film.
0: Mm-hmm. So well,
1: and that's constantly running around. That's another eighties trope. Was always like, "What's the dumbest thing that I can do here?" Uh, probably this. I'm gonna do that. Yeah. I mean, and then Friday the Thirteenth was just all about that. Which I mean, it worked because you're just like, "Okay, well, bye, Tommy. You're gonna die." And then Tommy does the thing and. It Tommy Jarvis, um, but different Tommy. Tommy Jarvis was cool. Right. But, right. <laughs> whoops, be like Tommy Jarvis, yeah. but that's another. Yeah, you always have that, and that's you know, it's just always the what's the dumbest possible. Thing? I see it so often in horror films, and it just it works because got to kill somebody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Simple as that. And you're not here, I'm not here for kumbaya. I'm here for brains. So, <laughs> and boy, did a lot of those come out in this movie. <laughs> Splat. I
0: want to. Apologize, John, for earlier. You had an actual point you were making with World War Z, and I was too busy being pedantic and assholey about the train wreck <laughs> of that production. And I feel really bad about that. Um, okay. So what, what, <laughs> okay, about, I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about cashing. <laughs> All right, You,
1: know, <laughs> um, you don't know me. <laughs> you do know me. Um, a lot of Rick and Morty tonight. No, it was just. I mean, I think that's a great example of. I mean. Your 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 point is equally as valid just because that is how a lot of that studio stuff works. You know, all of a sudden, you know, producer's cousin named Oliver's like, they should climb a wall. Hey, Oliver, that sounds great. Um and, and it wasn't great, Oliver. And and you fucked up. Um He's fucked up A wrong. He did. He did badly. I mean the problem at hand is that it was inherently obvious that the intelligence that the World War Z novel has, which is a brilliant Novel, through and through. One that I've read. I, I don't often reread books just because of, for me, it's a matter of, you know, what, what time can I dedicate. But World War Z is one that is starting to crack off my shelf in hardcover because I've read it so many times. Mm-hmm. Just because it, what it, what it, and speaking of one that has great commentary and where we are, like, it, it he actually has, I mean, the novel speaks to the American arrogance, American arrogance of the war machine with the Battle of Yonkers. Um, yeah. And that stuff's just, and that, that's Max Brook just understanding things. Um, which is which is again beautiful to see from you know from someone who comes from a comedy background to see the dramatic side like that and and the horror side like that but it's inherently they wanted to make the, it was all about the appeal I mean you cast Brad Pitt well who's the giant box office draw Brad Pitt um, zombies are the hot thing right now cool you got zombies um and and then it, you know but then it just it was just so much recycled action through, through me. But everything was. It you know, here's your less, hint to Die Hard. Here's your hint to this, and it's just.
0: It felt less to me like an adaptation of a book than it did to someone writing a movie meant to be popular who had happened to recently read World War Z and took some of those
1: ideas. Well, and you know, truthfully speaking, I'll say this now: I would have respected it more if they weren't dead, because the things that those corpses did in that movie defy even mm-hmm. the wildest seven year old's imagination. I mean, they basically could fly. I mean, and they're climbing like ants. I'm like, this is just physically impossible. Should have been infected instead of zombies. Yeah, and, and, that's, and that's the thing. Exactly. It's back to there are two kinds of zombies. There are the Romero zombies, which are walking corpses that have been reanimated. The Walking Dead sort of thing uh-huh. recently. The shambling. Became. Yeah, exactly. There, are there are reanimated corpse that eats flesh. That's that. That is now that is canon. That's not even up for debate. Romero Romero twisted the genre to that, and then there is the under the influence human being now. Again, those classic ones like White Zombie, I Walk with a Zombie, all those old. Or the Crazies would be another. Crazies is actually another version of it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's 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 a human being that's under control of another thing. That's why I like The Last of Us. It's a zombie story because they just got mushrooms around their skulls. Um, but like twenty eight days later, that's a zombie flick. But they' and it's okay for them to run because it's 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 this Ebola rage hybrid, mm-hmm. um, and that's what I wanted to see. Now, if they'd done that, we wouldn't have having any any problem. they be like, okay, that's an interesting twist on Max Brooks' story. Instead, it's you know. Flying corpses—that's just that's Resident Evil level shit right there, um, and, and, and they have that in Resident Evil too, for that matter. There's all kinds of flying horrible things in that movie um, or that movie series. There's a one with the birds and the flamethrower. Yep, yeah. and there's some flying things in the final chapter because that hit stars. And I watched that and I was like, I don't know why I punish myself sometimes, but I do. So, it's like it's basically just me going in the river and hitting my back with a switch. That's what Resident Evil is to me at this point. It's like I just I feel like I've done bad things and I need to punish myself. Um, <laughs> but that's my problem with War Z was that it didn't even try. But it made a shit ton of money because, again, highest grossing zombie film. But it's it's an action flick that wants to be a zombie film. I guess the only thing that I could say that comes out of it's awesome is that Peter Capaldi's in it and he's an awesome Doctor Who, and his character his credit is credited as W H O Doctor. That's neat. Um, <laughs> oh, that's <great. laughs> but outside of that, I mean, and, and I mean, there's, there's, there are, there are some moments of respect. Brad Pitt, a guy that I really didn't think would take the material seriously because Pitt has done far more. I mean, it's not to say that the horror genre is beneath regular acting but I think for someone of Brad Pitt's talent and caliber you just wouldn't expect to see him in that it just doesn't seem like a movie he wanted to do like I'm not expecting to see a guest spot on The Walking it Dead it
0: still felt, <laughs> feels that way to me at the end and I think this is what I was going for earlier <clears throat> in that because his, his production company bought the rights they did but yeah, by the I time mean, the film came out it was it had people's fingerprints all over it right. and I feel like the film that came out wasn't the film he was wanted to make when he bought those rights <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I mean, he really hasn't said much about it. Yeah. enough, he tends to take care of the material
2: that he puts love and money. Yeah, that's
0: too. And as John said, he, you know, like like you said, sort of against expectations, his his
1: performance. Treated it well,
0: yeah. Whether it is what he and yeah, it was straight I
1: mean, and that's that's that, maybe that's, maybe, that's, maybe I should recant. it it's not a matter that I don't see Brad Pitt fitting. I feel like Brad Pitt was wasted. That's what I needed to say. Because sure. because I mean, it, yeah, I should never as someone who's a horror fan. I don't feel like I insulted the genre by saying that it's beneath Brad Pitt's movie. I mean, Andrew Lincoln is a talented actor. I mean, the guys about as British as they come. And my stepmom from Georgia, and he does a Georgia accent to a T. Um, that's just how good he is, and that most of that cast is actually from across the pond and they all do these beautiful southern accents that are flawless. I'm like, you guys are talented. Um, and that's why I don't want to insult that portion of it. It's just also ironic because Brad Pitt hasn't been in a true serious horror film since, or horror piece since Freddy's Nightmares in the late 80s when that was on TV because he did an episode of that. Um, <laughs> actually one of his earliest roles, believe it or not. But um, I, I wouldn't be surprised mean, it was it was a paramount like, and, and studio influence is, is, is renowned for being, what if we did this? Um, it literally is that meme where they say, how do we get our ratings up let's do this and then they throw the guy out the window yeah. that's, that's, that's a great summary for how a lot of this stuff comes when they, they have the property everybody's got to get their fingers in it mm-hmm. um, until they feel that they have a polished film and you know it, sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't and mm-hmm. it sure as shit did not the World War Z mm-hmm. But I just feel like that's that was the tipping point for making money for horror versus telling a better story for horror in film mm-hmm. because again you make all that cash and someone is sitting there going you know what we can make that kind of money we don't even take it seriously mm-hmm. What else? what else can we buy What else can we get our hands on? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's where I think the difference is in the TV portion. I feel as though Scott Gimple on The Walking Dead and Robert Kirkman very much want to tell a powerhouse horror story Mm -hmm. and and, and throw in the mix of both where the dead are are still an important part of it but yes, the humanity portion of it is still there as well but they still tell a very compelling tale to the point where people are so outraged they're quitting the show. If that doesn't speak to how well of a job you've done telling your story (laughs) I don't know what does. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But where do you see that in horror? Where was the heart in Poltergeist? And that remake, had, that remake didn't. That, that's what made the original so wonderful and so powerful as a horror film was that it, it had that family unity and there was a genuine feel of that family, you know, and, and the, the cast worked well together and you were, like you said earlier about caring about the characters, mm-hmm. you were generally concerned for their well being. You wanted to see Carol Ann survive and not be eaten up by whatever the fuck was in her closet. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to the remake, which is like, hey, well, here's Sam Rockwell and here's some other folks. And see, you know these names, right? Well, here you go, Poltergeist. Right. That's cool. I mean, it just I feel like I'm just getting. A day old hot dog, as opposed to getting a fresh one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I love me some hot dogs because of
0: that. <laughs> well, that was well said, John. Well done. It's about your whole tipping point in terms of
1: money and story—that was very well done. It's just you just—it it frustrates me when I go to look for mainstream horror because this is this is the opportunity. And even speaking beautifully, cycle back to this. What Joel said about the blurring of the lines. So my sister saw um, what was the one the name of the door that came out recently. I'm trying to remember this one because it was forgettable uh, Um, in my mind. My name is like, no, it comes at night. Yes, that's it. So that thing gets pitched in the theaters like there's something horrible waiting outside, which means you're expecting either a monster or you're just you're expecting right. something it's nefarious and otherworldly. You're right. expecting a horror element. And as I understand it, and hopefully, is everyone okay with me spoiling it right now? Yeah. yeah okay but when mean, did it
0: come out I mean it was a, at least a number of months before the recording and this isn't going to come out for another month
1: or so I mean I think you're fine
0: so well I guess just was, it, we're spoiling it okay
1: go away now if <laughs> you don't want to there bit. is <laughs> nothing to be concerned about there is no creature the virus mm-hmm. is essentially the monster in this thing but they pitch it like it's going to be the next night of the living Dead. you're isolated in this house there's horrible things waiting in the darkness what are we going to do mm-hmm. um well, you're going to get sick. That's what's going to happen. You're going to get sick. That's that's what it comes down to. And that is almost just insulting to the audience to sit there and pitch it like that. And granted, we've had movies where they're marketed so, horribly yes, and then released properly. Sometimes that but, works well, where
0: they pull the twist on others, oh, what you were expecting. But that's uh-huh. not a twist. That's a goddamn but cop-out.
1: Sometimes, yeah. but that's but that's, that's, that's mainstream horror, you know? And even then, like, some some films are trying to recapture the magic of stuff that just can't be recaptured like... There's a film out there called Cannibal Holocaust, and it is disgusting. It is. Yeah. It's about cannibals. What a title. Need I say more? And it is it holds nothing back. It's an older it's an older 70s, to 80s flick. It's available on Shudder for those that have Shudder for streaming. If not, try it for seven days, see what you think. Um and Eli Roth tried to remake is to it. Hey <laughs> and Shudder, if you guys are listening, let's talk.
0: Um, <laughs> but No, it's a podcast, right? So it's gotta be Audible or Blue Apron. <laughs> Well, so, I mean, hey, yeah, so. if you
1: guys want some fresh food. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry, John. Cannibal Holden. Listen, yeah, listen, listen to the new Stephen King novel while you're making your new steaks. Louisfernenonable.com <laughs> um, uh, um, <laughs> At this rate, they're even going to pay us. We're just going to do it for them. Uh, can I get a month free? One of each? I do I'm, I'm poor. Um, I'm a poor writer. What do you want? Um, but Eli Roth tried to recapture that with The Green Inferno. And I was very excited to see that. And Scotty was like, we're going to go check that out. And, and granted, we didn't get to it until DVD. But what a disappointment. again same thing they hype it in the trailer like oh it's going to be this and like oh someone's going to hit their head eaten off there's gore in it it's gross Um, but it is nowhere near as disturbing as Cannibal Holocaust that's a movie that you just kind of you turn off the TV and you're like I need a hug Um, because there is nothing good about that film but Green and French is kind of like well I saw that coming Mm, okay Um, and it's just it's almost as if it's ironic for a genre that pioneers terror for a genre that pushes envelopes for a genre that Truly challenges the human condition and challenges the world that we live in is afraid to do that now,
4: yeah. and I don't
1: know why, and and I don't want to see her be like, well, that's cause of political correctness or that kind of thing. I don't think that's the problem because political correctness, I think, has always been around. Because when you get a movie like Night of the Living Dead that gets lambasted by, yeah, by yeah. critics, you can what it does. The Twilight Zone has already done that for us. Yeah, I mean, you get because the Twilight Zone new.
0: had to dodge some pretty pretty serious stuff. The whole monsters
1: are due on Maple Street and yeah. communism and all that jazz. No, yeah, you can't say political correctness can cripple I mean, R. Romero Remember, had a fight know. to get Dawn of the Dead in R rating. Uh, to get, get it released in the States without a rating. Um, MPA wanted to make it an R. He wanted it uncensored. And it's no, what you see in Dawn of the Dead is no different than you see on The Walking Dead. It's the same stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just done, you know almost 50 years ago so that's a no-no in the 70s they wanted to give it an X which in 1979 was the kiss of death because yeah, that meant porn that oh, yeah. <laughs> you know and then that, that that's what he wanted to avoid um, yeah. but that's the fight that's always been there and again you know, it pushes envelopes and it's, it's, it's disgusting and it's horrendous but it's also brilliant in its own right I think that was the best thing Roger Ebert said it best that it's a satanic depraved vision of America and he does not condone this film he praises it instead um mm-hmm. you know or something I'm trying sure paraphrasing or ruining that regardless. but the bottom line is he knew. He acknowledged the darkness. He acknowledged the power of it, and said, "This is damn brilliant. Go out and see it," um, which is also ironic because Ebert hated night, but <laughs> splitting hairs. Um, but it, it just seems afraid now. It seems afraid. It just seems like it's. We know the basics of what scares us. We know that a jump scare is going to work really well. Um, which actually, I don't think they do. But that's just me. Mm-hmm. Um, but we know the formula, if you will, and they know that the, the problem is we, we pay for it, and it kind of goes back to the point even what we said about the superhero stuff. There's going to come a point where they're going to get garbagey, anyways, because mm-hmm. we're at that point where they've become the villain, if you will, um, and we're going to keep paying for it, and then we're finally, until finally, someone finally says enough, and until people stop going to these films, and so you stop going to see comic book films, you're not going to get anything different. Um, and hopefully, the indie market continues to crank out this amazing stuff that we're seeing, um, and hopefully, more films like Get Out get made because that's the kind of stuff that needs to be done. Then and Get Out probably is the best example of, of challenging current society, of challenging all the tropes and all the fears that we have mm-hmm. um, and I mean my god you know you want to talk about a film that is clearly about race and, and, and all of those all of that that comes with it there's no question in my mind as to that that, that being a part of that structure mm-hmm. Yeah, but I don't know I guess perhaps that's a lesson shot shock them all, that it comes from a simpler time when you know what <laughs> let's go out let's do some horrible things and let's have fun with it mm-hmm. um, yeah. and maybe that's what horror has lost is that it, it's missed, it doesn't understand how to have fun either for that matter anymore that it takes itself too seriously mm-hmm. that could be part of the problem too. Mm-hmm. All cool. right.
0: It was well said. Just, a, I'm sorry, Joel. But a, no, go ahead. Just as a whole, right about horror is no longer challenging us or having fun, and that those are the. The things that we look for in the classics and the pillars of the genre. Well said, John. Well done. I like
2: you. I was just gonna uh, if in the interest of time, if we want to do our famous recurring segment with our first guest, it is it is time for <laughs> another <laughs> situational movie representation. <Recommendations>. <laughs>
0: Yes, I I was gonna say I know this is a special episode, but I really want to do it because yeah. I want to hear what John wants to say. So
2: situational movie recommendations, uh, Scott? Did you have one in mind?
0: Uh, if I did, it's on my laptop. <laughs> okay, because have... which I don't actually have in my lap. For once, I will <laughs> okay. usually hear me clacking away. Yeah, Irony, <laughs> laptop not uh, on the lap. You've got one, or Tim, or I don't know. You don't usually
2: know. Yeah. Okay, uh, well, Go for m- it. the one that I you was thinking of is there um, a specific
0: director? who you will,
2: without question, go see their new film.
0: I think I know what your answer is going to be, John. <laughs> <No.
2: laughs> I don't. Uh, I don't
0: even know we'll, what my answer is. Uh, oh, okay. But,
1: okay.
2: Um, so we'll, we'll give John a, a second to think.
1: Okay. Um, yeah, take your time, John, please. No, it won't take long. I'm, I'm pretty much ready to go. Oh, um, well, you want to do situational, so just to film recommendations in a similar vein of the genre? Is that what we're kind of... Oh, no, like, this is just
0: unrelated. Um we just tack one of these questions on at the end oh, of each Oh, well, I'm going to do both of them. So, How about so that? Sure, sure, sure. I'll give you Feel a hybrid, because I, I think I
1: want the horror genre to continue to thrive, and I think there's a lot of good stuff. Um, if we're going to talk about some, some unique ones that are kind of from that same era that, that kind of will surprise you, um, if you want silly, then definitely see, mention mentioned, to see the one that Tim mentioned, the stuff, because that's just balls of the wall goofy. I mean, its tagline is, it, or is, are you eating it, or is it eating you? Um, plus, it has the catchiest ah, commercial yeah. you're ever going to see. Um, if you want something... For those of you that love Lovecraft out there, I highly recommend from beyond. Um, it's also in, I want, I want to say 87 or 88, but it stars uh, Jeffrey Coombs, oddly enough Barbara Crampton, who was also in Chopping Mall. Um, it's a beautiful Lovecraft story. It's disturbing. It's depraved. Um, but it also has the same thing. It's moments of fun. It also has Ken Ferre from Dawn of the Dead. Um, I will always recommend the original Dawn of the Dead any day of the week. Uh, that is just a piece of American brilliant cinema through and through. Um, and pretty much anything by George Romero. I think the fact that he's passed now, his work is more important than ever um, if you haven't seen his films everything is now available on disc um, again Night of the Living Dead hits Criterion Blu-ray uh, February um, Dawn of the Dead is still available um, online it's a little pricier now but if you get a chance buy the Ultimate Edition it's not on Blu-ray but it features every cut of the film um, Shot Factory just released Day of the Dead and Land of the Dead um, Dire of the Dead still available Survival of the Dead still available um, Martin is still only available on DVD Night Riders Monkey Shines The Dark Half um are all available on Blu-ray now, which is nice, as his is Creepshow. Um, and, of course, there's Lost Films, Season of the Witch. Uh, there's always Vanilla. And, of course, uh, The Crazies. That's also now back on Blu-ray with a brand new set from Arrow Video. Um, and even Bruiser is still available, which was uh, his... I'm not sure what that... But that, that, to this day, I think, it was just a commentary on the power of revenge. But I feel like it needed a little more time to cook. But it's still a brilliant movie because, I mean, it's a movie about a man who wakes up in morning without a face cause now he can do whatever he wants. Oh, um, shit. And it's it's a dark tale, of course, because that's what Romero specializes in. But uh, I recommend Ava's work. So if you get a chance to see that, see that. But that's probably some stuff that I'd say would be in the vein today.
0: I have a two two part answer, I guess, like Jean, John, but it includes three people, because two of them represent the same answer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wes Anderson and Dennis Villanueva are my two who fit the same bill, and that I've seen one film by them. Massively loved it. Uh, it was Grand Budapest Hotel and Blade Runner 2049. And if they make something else in the coming month, I'm just I'm going to go see it. Oh, you haven't seen but, Arrival, have you? I was going to say, but in both cases, before they make something, I'm probably going to see their older work: yeah. Arrival, Sicario, World uh, Ten Bombs. I know I'm going to see Life Aquatic soon. Thanks to Joel. <laughs> but um, great movie. So in their cases, I would love to, based on what I've seen from them so far, but just one film, and I have older stuff. In the interest of a more serious answer, probably I'm going to butcher his name. Uh, Nicholas Winding Refine, the guy who did Drive and Only God Forgives in the Neon Demon. And
1: Bronson. Which I haven't seen. Ooh, Bronson. This is why we're friends. (laughs) (laughs) Yost, Bronson. It's on the list. Really (laughs) love... It's like Bane with a mustache. (laughs) Because it has Tom Hardy. (laughs) It (laughs) It has all you've ever wanted from Tom Hardy. Actually, that's pretty much any Tom Hardy movie. Let's be honest. And that includes Star Trek Nemesis. If you haven't seen him in that, it is the greatest... Interpretation sure. of Patrick Stewart you'll ever see that isn't done by Patrick Stewart.
0: Mm-hmm. And by,
1: I really love Drive. Um,
0: Only Gotcha Gibbs was great, and I'm still pondering it in a lot of ways. I definitely need to rewatch. Um, and The Neon Demon was excellent, except in my opinion, in the last 10 minutes. <laughs> but otherwise, almost perfect. Okay, sorry, perfect's a big word, but you know what I mean. So, in that sense, if he makes another one, yes, I am more than interested enough. And generally very pleased that I just I'm gonna go see it. I wanna see what he does next. You know, and there's a little bit of me that thinks about the ending of the Neon Demon and the the parts of Only God forgives that left me a little bit confused, you know, that's sort of worried. But then I think about Drive and about the whole rest of the Neon Demon and I go, No, I just I need to see what he does next. Mm -hmm. I need to see it. You know, whether it turns out, who knows, but I just I need I need to know, you know. That's where my interest falls, my my curiosity. Gotcha. My curiosity and my attention. <laughs>
3: yes.
2: Tim, do you need some more time? But...
3: Um, I mean, I, I have I have three answers. Whoa! I mean, <laughs> I guess they're, yeah, like, sort of, so, well, so one is Darren Aronofsky. Ooh. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, like, uh, you know,
0: and I... I I've, I've, As of this recording, <laughs> Pi has not come out. And oh, may, that's not, right. may not have come out by the time this releases, but we watched Pie. That's right, already, okay, and so we recorded the pie. It was delicious, yeah. uh, which was a Darren Aronofsky <laughs> film, which is why I mentioned it. Yeah, <laughs> Darren Aronofsky. And, and think so right you'll hear a lot more about him in that yeah. podcast. But and, of course, feel free to speak to him. Don't let me. Yeah,
3: and right around uh, that time too was either I was a, I think I think when we watched Pie it was when Mother had just come out. Yes, and then I saw Mother and mm-hmm. loved it, um, and. Uh, remember you mentioned mother during the podcast yeah. mmm and um, and you know it's interesting too because not all of his films are my favorite but I definitely like I love his his visual style I love the um, you know even the stuff that he hasn't written himself that he's adapted from other things like I love the stuff he chooses I love the way he tells stories like the the actors and actresses that he picks and um, yeah, it's just it's just amazing storytelling. Like very very different from a lot of other things. Like it has an indie vibe, but it's not quite indie. It's still kind of mainstream, but not as it's not as indie as indie, and not as mainstream as mainstream. Um, so that's one. Um, the other one is, uh, and I, you know, I say this. I was going to say anything the Wachowskis do, but I still haven't seen um, Jupiter Ascending yet. And I do want to see. I've heard so many bad things. I do want to see it at some <laughs> point. It's just, I just haven't gotten around to it, but. Um, you know starting with the matrix and then you know ending with with sense eight it's just like yeah like you know even even if they have a flop like you know speed racer you know <laughs> or whatever like it's still it's still a wild ride like there still is that that fun you know that we were talking about with chopping mall a lot of the time like
1: they are like a a visual geniuses you know you yeah.
3: they know how to frame a shot like no other yeah it's insane and then their attention to detail like with you know sense eight being able to you know, shoot the same scene in multiple countries and have it all flow together
1: seamlessly Just the continuity in so general of show. Yeah. The show it, it just, it's from beginning to end every, no no details missed you right.
3: Yeah like so yeah and, Yeah, and I and I feel like that's a thing that a lot of people don't appreciate and don't notice because it doesn't happen very often in a lot of other films, you know, so it's just like oh who cares that they're keeping all these you know events in line and the story is still cohesive even though it's on this grand of a scale, you know? Um Ed Wood yeah, <laughs> and um, and then my other one is uh, Joss Whedon, which is ironic because you know I, I haven't gone to see uh, you know I know he took over
0: some of the directing stuff with uh, Justice League. Mm-hmm. You, um, could so I feel, you, could, you could see his fingerprints on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, as of this recording, I'm the only one of us who's seen Justice League. Mm-hmm. Sorry, which is why I jumped in there just yeah. for explanation. Right. Sorry, I said, but I will say to you, mm-hmm. now Tim, you could feel his fingerprints. on Yeah. It. Mm-hmm.
3: And you know just yeah like I just I love how he he handles an ensemble. I love his mix of of seriousness and sentimentality and and humor and 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 horror. You know, he he's he's one of the ones I feel like he doesn't get mentioned very often for being able to mix genres like that, but like there's a ton of Buffy stuff that is just flat out horror you know and somehow he can still mix in comedy and it doesn't seem out of place and then you know you can have these great relationships but then all this weird quirky stuff happens in the background like he's somehow like like everything he does is believable you know no matter how outrageous and and you know he he will he will fucking make you think he's your best friend and he will tear your fucking heart out and i love that like i love that he will and and it's and it's not gimmicky you know he won't be like oh um let's kill this person because it'll piss everybody off. Like, like it is, it is for like this purely emotional value and everything. Like as much as you hate that he killed this person, you're like, okay, well it makes sense. Like, and there is that, that happens in life. You don't get to just choose the people that die around you. Like, you know, and um, yeah, he's, he's, he's just great. And, And I don't, I don't normally tend to like a lot of ensemble things. It's, it's very rare that, You know, someone is able to uh, kind of blend people together in such a way where I feel like all the people are individuals, yet they still work as a unit. And he does that really, really well. Um, He does that in his writing, all the writing he does for comics too. Like I usually don't like team books, but he, you know, his 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 run on Astonishing X Men is like one of my favorite runs in comic books ever. Um, Yeah, so those those, I guess it's. (laughs) Four people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, Joel. This is your question. Yeah. This better um, be good.
2: <laughs> so, uh, first, I'm going to say Tarantino. Oh, I forgot Tarantino. Um, oh
0: my god. It, yes, it's just, add just kind him of an easy. List.
2: He's just kind of an Too easy late. one. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I found that I need to see Joel's his. Now. <laughs> his <laughs> <he's smiling now. laughs> I found that I need to see his films twice before I form an opinion because mm. I'm. I walked out of Hateful Eight being irritated that Tarantino was Tarantino and he did a Tarantino thing
1: Only half Tarantino, though. (laughs) because that was behavior. Like, oh, this is a western. Like, oh, now we're talking about that Uh in somebody's (laughs) mouth. Okay,
2: (laughs) huh? So then I went back and saw it again. It's like this. This is one of my favorite films of all time. Like, it's just the dialogue, the the way it's shot, the 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 spirit of it, and the the way it's a visual feast. The turn in that narrative works and how it informs everything else. Just it
0: it works really well. Like to say that. I know you all have heard this a thousand times, so I apologize. But for the people listening, <laughs> I like to say that The Hateful Eight is what we would have got if Tarantino made a play, a stage play. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so, he's an
2: easy one. But the other one that I was going to say was Alejandro Iñárritu, um, guy who did Birdman and The Revenant. Oh yeah, Birdman. Um, yeah. I have not Just seen Babel or, Babel or Beautiful. I guess he produced both of those films, um, but...
0: I mean, beautiful Javier Bardem was in that. Yes. And Babel is actually sitting under my coffee table right now in a box yeah. of movies my dad just sent me
2: mm,
1: out of nice. the blue one day. <laughs> so we can watch that one if you like anytime. <laughs> Shame he didn't send you Chopping Mall. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Yeah,
2: yeah so um, just seeing Birdman was one of the coolest visual, auditory, acting experiences of my life. I really liked that film a lot. Mm. Then getting to see The Revenant was just... Everything about the execution of the previous film, but in this wildly different setting, different story, different actors.
1: I, I really am excited to see what his next project I have to is. I am yes. sorry cause we're running over, but I had to say this. Am I the only one that feels that Leonardo DiCaprio got the Oscar for the wrong film? Correct. Okay. Because I really feel like... I mean, let's say The Revenant was bad. Just that I feel like his performance in Wolf and Wall Street word that Oscar was deserved like he and Eddie Redmayne mm-hmm. flipped because Redmayne not saying he's a bad actor by any means but it just seems like they flipped years improperly because mm-hmm. at Redmayne should have won the year the Revenant was out and then vice versa for mm-hmm. Wall Street that, I, I feel mean, like we had a sort of similar situation with the
0: Lord of the Rings um, with Return of the King Return of the Five Endings? <laughs> <laughs> return of the Five Endings, getting <laughs> the end. Just kidding! <laughs> because they hadn't given it to either of the earlier films, and they sort of needed to at some point, because the franchise was so great. But there were much better films competing that year than there were against the other two Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. films. I feel like they got sort of painted into a corner there. And like you just said about Red Man, sort of similar with Yeah, I just feel like the like, wrong, oh, wrong, <laughs> wrong place. The
2: other thing is, like, Le- any of Leo's... Oscar nominated performances probably could have got like I, I, I've i never had a problem with him being nominated for one and mm-hmm. would have been upset with him winning you know mm-hmm. that man needed an Oscar he was going to kill somebody yeah. I, I, he fought a bear give it to him please yeah. for the love of God it's not a real bear
0: though movie bear gets movie bear <laughs> Next up, Gary Oldman, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. God, I know, right? That would be cool. For, uh, if the Cubs can win a World Series, <laughs>
2: Gary Oldman he...
1: can get himself an Oscar. Just bring me
2: that. He's checkers. playing. <laughs> the World War II British guy. What's his name? Mm-hmm. Why can't I remember his Steve name? Steve Perry. No, <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Joel, here's just going out with Squeak. <laughs> <laughs> He's in a prime minister. He. It's a biopic of. Oh,
0: Hang on, hang on. How
2: can I not know this guy's name? Yeah, in the IMDb, hang on. Hang we'll
0: on. See, I was going to say Churchill, it. but there are... T- it
2: is Churchill! <laughs> yeah, he's <laughs> playing I was Churchill. Say, but
1: there are two World like like War II related prime ministers. So. <laughs> Let's go...
2: Oh, I remember that one. And, it's and, really uh, good,
1: yeah. crown, oh yeah. my gosh, yeah. Actually, he played him... No, he played Roosevelt, the other one. Did that weird TV movie about World War II. No one saw it, so that's okay. But which weird TV movie about World War II? It's... Yeah, I'm clearly the only one that saw it. It's okay. It's not a problem. Another time. Better time. Better time. Yeah, it is darkest, hour. darkest, darkest hour. Hour. darkest hour. Yeah, there we and go. And yes, he plays Churchill.
0: Really, I, I don't know how I. It just, looks amazing. He was in that. Uh,
1: it's out actually next week. Yeah.
2: By the time. But I agree, Tim. It's hard to watch anybody be Churchill after Lithgow. Lithgow was outstanding
1: in mm-hmm. the crowd Of course. <laughs> actually, Lithgow is what put an end to Dexter, as far as I'm concerned. Because when he showed up on the show, woo! Did, did, season five. Well, no, I've seen it, but I'm wondering what you mean by. It just wasn't the same after that. Like, that was, that was the nemesis for Dexter. Right? Yeah, okay. Like, they were, I mean, those two were just, that was I mean, the way no, they played off fair. one another, yeah. and then it's like, oh, here's, here's a stupid plot. Right. And here's another one.
2: And here's an
3: actor, and now even...
1: he's a lumberjack, and he's okay. Works <laughs> all night, and kills all day. <laughs>
3: I traveled a thousand miles to bring you my
0: seed.
1: <laughs> and by C, I mean knife.
3: <laughs> I'm Dexter.
0: All right, all right. That was great. We had a oh man. Our our conversation in the main podcast this time kept coming in circles again and again, which yeah. was just really satisfying. We That's had some great time as a flat circle. We had some great situational recommendations, and yeah. we have ended with our just laugh filled exploration <laughs> of actors <laughs> and Oscars. This has gone pretty goddamn well, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, anything, Any else? anything else anybody <laughs> wants to add or say? Anything we missed or didn't get to? uh Just a big thank you to John for bringing us into our lives and
2: coming on the podcast. This is the first
0: of our special guest podcasts. Um, Hopefully the first of many. Mm -hmm. Hopefully bring John back and and bring other people and other films. Be careful what
1: you wish for. I got a lot (laughs) of B-movies on that shelf. (laughs) Oh.
0: (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it's quite nice, so... Thank you, John. And thank you, as, as always, you. Joel and Tim, for joining me. Yes. Uh, thank You're you, listeners, fun. for listening, <laughs> assuming you made it this far. <laughs> and yeah, we'll see you next time. Goodbye.
4: Bye. See ya. Bye.
2: comes to you from nerdsthatgeek.com visit nerdsthatgeek.com for all things movie mumble movie mumble is hosted by scott murray joel lewis tim gerard and zeke perez the movie mumble theme song and all its variations were composed by tim gerard the situational recommendation theme was composed by joel lewis scott murray and tim gerard reluctantly this episode of the movie mumble podcast was edited by joel lewis